Hey y'all, this is Daniel Kyrie. I play Darren Ritter on Chicago Fire, and you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. Not gonna be all sunshine and roses, but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride. Happy belated Halloween, Shyhards. Welcome to episode 122 of Meet Us at Molly's. Today we're gonna cover episode six, so 506, 806, and 706. As always, I'm one of your hosts. My name's Gina. I am joined by Bryna. Hello, everybody. This was a relatively tame week in one Chicago, right? Gina, why you kid like that? Well, I feel like Med and Fire were pretty chill. PD, we've got a lot to discuss. You think Fire was... What? Fire and Med? What are you talking about? Well, I mean... Your med, I mean, med especially, what are you talking about? There was like, there was no flesh-eating bacteria going around this time. Or yes. ma- maybe I'm just becoming so used to Natalie doing shit that it just doesn't phase me anymore. Well, and Will. And Will. And then on fire, you have Gallo being, you know, like all in his feels. Like, come on, Gina. Okay. Well, whatever. So, as always, we like to start with the news. We got the mother of all news on Wednesday, did we not? Oh my god, it's like, broke the fandom. Um, Monica Raymond is returning for the winter finale, y'all. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, you texted me that, and I was like, what the heck? I never in a million years thought I'd see the day. I mean, I figured she'd always come back at some point. I didn't think it was going to be a season and a half later. I didn't think she'd ever come back. I thought this was going to be like Sophia when she was like, I'm never coming back. I thought Monica was going to be the same way. Monica always said, though, that I think she was open and that Derek, or at least through Derek, like Derek said that she was always open to coming back. I mean, I was thinking it would be like 10 seasons from now, kind of like when Tree Hill with Lucas, how he came back for one episode in season nine. Well, that's what I meant. Like, I figured she'd always come back. I, Like I said, I didn't think it'd be a season and a half later. So crazy. I cannot believe she's coming back. Yeah. It, yeah. So when Derek tweeted that picture, because a, a while back, Derek tweeted a picture from a distance of a woman looking at the Otis Memorial. And it was from a distance. Did you, for a minute, think that that could be Monica? I mean, No. I didn't even really notice that there was, like, a woman looking at the memorial. But now it makes sense that that's totally her. Because a lot of people on Twitter were saying, like, oh, my God, Monica, Monica, Monica. And I was like, no, probably no. Come on now. No, but I I was wrong. And everybody was right. And holy shit, Monica's returning to the the show. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. So the article says, fans can expect sparks to fly from the Dawson and Casey reunion. I mean, duh. And Dawson and Casey will always have an unbreakable bond, duh, again, and their love is a special love that I think will forever stay alive. The fans don't want to miss this episode. We get to see Dawson and Casey's love in a new light. So are they just going to basically accept that they can't be together but will always love each other? I don't know. I mean, so did you listen to Derek on Emily's podcast? I haven't had the chance yet, no. No. So I listened to it. 
And I put some of the quotes from like the article version. This um, does kind of bring us into our next item. Yeah. So basically Derek was on Emily Lungaretta's podcast, the watch with us podcast that she does for us weekly. And they talked about some other stuff, but a lot of, I mean, what I cared about was the um, Monica part of it. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I'm excited that she's coming back and I think it's definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, it says that she's in back in town to help raise money for this aid organization. And then obviously stops by, but like he was talking about, you know, like he kind of, you know, said a lot of the same things and didn't really get into much detail, but like, I don't know. I feel like it's, gonna be way less than what people think it's gonna be I think people are like oh my god they're still gonna be in love and whatever and I think Casey part of Casey's always gonna love her but I think whatever this scene that's gonna happen between them is just gonna be them being friends yeah yeah I could see that because even Derek said you know he was like um you know it's not gonna be what you think it's gonna be like is in terms of like her storyline hmm and Emily asked him, he was, she was like, well, cause you know, there's that whole tweet about like Casey and Severide not being at the same house, you know, come or not being in the same place, like work wise by the time the winter finale comes around. And he didn't really say anything about that or he wouldn't say anything about that, but he did. He was like, oh yeah, you know, Dawson and Casey have a scene together. Um, but like, he, you know, it just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's not going to be what we think it's going to be. And like, she's not coming back for forever. So it's not going to be like, she's gonna be like, I still love you. So like, what else would it be? Unless it's like her giving him advice or something. And you know, like, you know, I don't know. For what it's worth, the title of this episode is best friend magic, which I mean, we always say this could be anything. This could be anything. This really could be anything. So I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe they just kind of agree that, you know, yeah, we're, you know, we'll always be friends I don't know I, I I really don't know I'm excited to see her back but I don't know what to expect right and I don't want to I right I'm excited to see her back regardless of what happens and I think you know I think it'll be interesting I mean it's a mid-season finale so I'm sure it'll cause some sort of drama whether it's good or bad um but I also don't want to get my hopes up because I know she's not staying forever right right <laughs> I wonder what her news is or what, what I, I wonder what it is that Derek makes him say, you know, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. I wonder if she's leaving Puerto Rico, but even if she's leaving Puerto Rico, I mean, it, it doesn't mean anything. She's not going to like, if she moves back to Chicago, we're just not going to see her. Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I, I want it to be episode nine now. Now, can we just skip past seven and eight and get right to the mid-season finale? Right, which normally I would never say that, but, like, this time I definitely mean it. Same. Same. Um, we got a lot of questions. Well, not a lot of questions, but a lot of people obviously wanted us to talk about this. But someone, um, our listener, Allie, did send us a message on Instagram, and she just kind of wanted to know, like, what our thoughts were in regards to, like, the Brett and Casey of it all. And obviously that hasn't happened yet, but like, do you think this is going to throw a wrench in it? Do you think in some weird ways it brings them together? Like, what do you think about it? 
Brett and Casey aren't even circling each other right now. They're both in their own orbits. I mean, Sylvie is just coming off that engagement that was busted, and Casey is dealing with Gallo. And so neither one of them are thinking of the other person right now. And so, I mean, if that changes, that changes. But for now, I don't see that shaking them. I can't see Brett being ready to dive into another relationship just yet. Right. I think, if anything... Right. I mean, I think right now all we've gotten really is glances and, like, awkward pauses and, you know, which is all great and I still ship them. But, like you said, we haven't really gotten anything of significance this season. So I think if anything, I don't think it would push them away because, like, there's nothing for them to, like, push away from. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think maybe it could push them a little bit forward. Like, maybe Dawson notices a glance or something. But, like, even that, I'm not getting my hopes up about that because we've literally gotten nothing of true significance between them this season. If Dossie were to give her blessing, the internet will explode. And maybe that could be what it think, like what we think it's, you know, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm excited. I just, I really am just kind of like, okay, she's coming back. Just, just show me, show me now. I don't want to wait. Just show me now. I know. Oh. But I also feel like too, like, the fact that it's so teased and, like, we know so far in advance and it wasn't a surprise. Like, I wonder how that plays into, like, maybe it's not going to be what we think it's going to be, you know. I mean. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I think it can't be anything that too important because we know that she's coming back, like, so much ahead of time. Whereas, like, the scene in the premiere, we or in the season seven premiere, mm-hmm. we had no idea she was coming back. And that was an important scene. It was Dawson's closure with Casey, right. you know, like, but we didn't know that was happening. Mm-hmm. So this, I feel like because we know that it, and it's being so teased and so promoted and like the fire account was tweeting about it, which I feel like they never really do that much. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it can't be anything that, that important in terms of like affecting storylines. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that could come out of this would be her saying, I'm coming back to Chicago. Like I want to rejoin the firehouse. That's like the biggest, most monumental thing we could get out of that. Right. That's not happening. So I just would keep in mind that, you know, yeah, she's coming back for an episode, but that also means she's going to leave at the end of the episode. So whatever she's coming in to do, it's quick and it's short and sweet. Right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I feel like, I feel like they're okay with teasing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it does that make sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah. Don't know. So we also got episode descriptions for episodes eight. So this is airing in two weeks. November, oh, not 11th. That's Veterans Day. Hold on, I'm thinking. Uh, November something. Um, Not the first week of November, the second week of November. So November 13th. Good job. November 13th. So Chicago Med 508 is called Too Close to the Sun. Maggie gets unsettling news about a new friend and breaks protocol to support him. One of the doctors from the Med family is rushed into emergency surgery after a violent assault. A social media influencer lets his users vote on medical advice, forcing Dr. Charles to make a decision. You can't just bury that second sentence and not expect us to freak out. It's definitely will. 
It's got to be. It's definitely Will. It's either Will or it's somebody we don't know. No, they wouldn't put that in the description like that, I don't think, if it's definitely Will. Like, especially after seeing this week's episode and the way it ended, like, it's definitely Will. Poor Will. Yeah, I know. I'm also very intrigued by the third part about the social media influencer. Like, I feel like that's going to be a good storyline. I feel like it's going to make me just, like, facepalm because I'm old and I'm just, like, youths and your social media and your... <laughs> Duh. Yeah. Will's okay. Will will be okay. Of course he'll be okay. Yeah. I'm so crazy, we'll I mean, though. It, it, when something happens to a character, like, when something bad happens to a certain character or something, I'm always worried about continuity. So when Gabby had the miscarriage in season four, the only thing that I was pissed off about, I was pissed off about many things, but one of the things I was pissed off about, I was like, nobody's going to call Antonio. So I just really hope that somebody calls Jay. <laughs> Is that wrong? Am I weird? Oh, fair. No, that's fair point, though. Fair point. Yeah. I just hope somebody calls Jay. Fair, fair point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Will you take us through fire? Yes. So Fire 808 is called Scene is Believing. Severide begins his assignment at the Office of Fire Investigation and gets off on the wrong foot when, despite his orders, he reopens an old case. When the cause of an apartment fire hits close to home, Herman is on a mission to get to the bottom of it. And Kid finds herself burning the candle at both ends. So Sev is going over to OFI. Yep. But... It says assignment. I don't so know. So assignment, well, assignment in my head means temporary. Yeah, it does. It does. I feel like this I is mean, kind of a also- be careful what you wish for scenario. <laughs> yeah, it's like we always say we want him in OFI and then we're like, nope, I don't want to take Never it mind. back. Never mind. He can come back. Derek, I have my receipt. Like, I, I promise, give it back. I'm giving it back to you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but Derek was, I mean, he briefly, very, very briefly teased. Um, he was like, oh yeah, he was telling Emily, he was like, oh yeah, I just watched episode eight. And like, um, he was talking, he was like, David Eigenberg has a good storyline in that thing and he's going to kill it. So apparently the Herman storyline in this episode is really good. Is there ever a time when Herman doesn't kill it? Well, I mean, depends. Sometimes Herman can be irritating because I don't agree. Let like, me rephrase. From last <laughs> Let me rephrase. Is there ever a time where David Eigenberg doesn't kill it? No. Never. He's good. But, yeah. So. And Chicago PD 708. This is called No Regrets. After injuring herself while pursuing a suspect, Burgess receives a shocking diagnosis. A homicide case turns into a missing persons case with a sinister twist, and Voight has to decide between justice and the letter of the law. I mean, Burgess's This episode, please. She's pregnant, right? Like, oh. she's pregnant. Yeah. 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 But is she... See, and I was thinking about this the other day because... I'm hesitant about this storyline, and I've talked about this before, that I just, pregnancy storylines irk me. I mean, I feel like they're just going to copy what happened with Dossie in season four, like, word for word. Okay, but here's the thing, though. At least with Dossie, we, like, saw them hook up, right? So, like, we know they had sex sex and, like, we, right. This, like, we, all we know is, like, they held pinkies and walked away. (laughs) 
have never actually said, oh, yeah, by the way, we, like, hooked up. So, like, we have nothing. So literally we go, I mean, they have one more episode to basically give us a scene to, like, have Bersic at least acknowledge each other. Each other. I cannot speak tonight. But otherwise it's going to be like, what the heck? Like, what are we doing? Right, right. That's so, where I'm going to be annoyed. It's not even necessarily the pregnancy part that's going to annoy me. It's going to be like, oh, we saw them, like, link pinkies together, and then all of a sudden she's pregnant. It's going to be like, huh? So for Dossie, it was a reaction to the stress of the day. For Linstead, it was playing Scrabble. And so for Burgess, it's or for Burzik, it's touching pinkies. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> that's the euphemism. Hashtag touching pinkies. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, I feel like with, with, with fire, I mean, it was almost untenable for Gabby to be pregnant and continue her job the way it was. Right. I mean, I feel like for Burgess, it's even more untenable for her to be pregnant and still working in intelligence. So there's no way they're going to sideline her. Right. I feel like this is going to resolve itself very quickly and I'm not going to be satisfied with it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. The other hypothetical I had is what if Burgess finds out that she was pregnant, but however she injured herself, compromise that. That'd be interesting. But I feel like the word diagnosis, like, nah, that means she's like currently pregnant. I don't know, man. I just, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for more Burzik this season. I really am, but... Then it begs the question of if she wasn't pregnant, would they get back together? I, I mean, granted, it hasn't even happened yet, so I should just, like, shut up and wait, but still. Yeah, I just, I need episode eight, like, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, we can just skip next week. We don't need episode seven. We yeah. need eight and nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, elsewhere, TV Line did an interview with Chicago Fire alum Charlie Barnett this week because Charlie, if you have been living under a rock, um, he's like a Netflix star now and now he's in the Arrowverse and he's just everywhere. He's killing it. Literally everywhere. Literally everywhere. And that makes me so happy though because I absolutely adore him. And did he, was it Vanity Fair he did that photo shoot for last week or something? It was Vogue or Vanity Fair. It was some high-end, fancy fashion magazine. Oh, my goodness. He looked so good. There was makeup involved, and it was totally, like, high-fashion couture. Oh, my God. It looked so good. I know. I, like, died. He's crushing it. He's absolutely crushing it. So yeah. in this era, or in this Arrow interview, it was an interview, yeah, interview about Arrow, words, you know. Um, it was an interview about Arrow, and they touched on fire for a moment. So one of the questions, they said, you know, Dawson and Casey are now split up, and when you left, Mills told Dawson to look him up if anything changes. Could they maybe now be together? And the interesting anecdote here is that Charlie's known Monica since he was about 12 or 13. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard. I wonder how. I think they both went to Juilliard. But that wouldn't mean they've known each other since 12. That I know, but that explains, like, probably from, like, 18 to 22. Right. So then it's but just then those remaining, like, four or five years that we have to fill in. Oh, well, six. Math. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, so, uh, you know, Charlie said, he's like, I love her to death. We've joked about building our own little Chicago spinoff where Dawson and Mills find their way to Puerto Rico and start their own firehouse down there. I always thought they'd start a bakery in North Carolina. 
yeah, that's what I thought. But hey, as long as they like end up together in that alternate universe, I'm okay. That is an AU fan fiction I would read. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yep. 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 Brenda, take us through the next bit. Yeah. So basically, TV Guide released a video this week from One Chicago Day. And it's one of those like stars playing most likely to. And I mean, there's no real news, but like if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It's hysterical. It is pretty funny. Have you seen it? You- I have. Yeah. And David Eigenberg is the answer for about like 60% of them. Oh, my God. And, like, when Marlon calls Taylor Kinney a candy bar, I was, like, dying. Uh, same, Marlon. <laughs> Mood. Mood. Or when um, when they're asking the question about, like, who would be most likely to get, um, like, a, a disease or uh, an infectious disease. Right? Yeah, an infectious disease. And <laughs> Jesse and Eamon take it, like, sexually. <laughs> and they were, like, dying. It was too funny. Didn't one of them say Severide and then, like, absolutely die laughing? Yeah, a few people, I think, said Severide. Um, Oh, also, too, the fact that, like, Joe totally acknowledged, because we had talked about it, too, when that episode three happened, and we were like, the Natalie and Casey? Like, that could be an interesting whatever. And he, like, made that, like, triangle between Casey, Natalie, and Brett. I was dying laughing. Yeah, I was like, wow, stir the pot, Joe. (laughs) Like, wow. And then... And then um, Nick brought up the time that, like, Jay almost got into the Manstead relationship. I, like, died. Yeah, yeah. And Natalie's like, yeah, that never went anywhere. And all I kept thinking was, thank God. Yeah, I was just like, but nobody ever brings that up. So I was just like, oh, wow, yeah, that's actually a thing. At least people remember. Great. Yep, yep, yep. Take us to the next bit. Yeah, and so then TV Line did an interview with... Miranda and Taylor, and it was basically just, you know, about Stellaride and the marriage and this possible job change. Um, In terms of, like, Stellaride marriage, the thing that, and we've talked about this too, Miranda basically said, she was like, I don't really think marriage is Stella's vibe. And she's like, you know, my hunch is that these two do get married. It's like, when they're on vacation, I think, you know, they're a lot more spontaneous and in the moment. And we've kind of said that too, that, like, I think they're just more about, like, committing to each other. Yeah. But, like, they don't necessarily need, like, the paper that says we are married. Yeah, I feel like if they – I agree it would be something, like, on vacation or something, but it would be, like, business. It would just be, like, okay, fine, let's just go through the motions and get this done. But, you know, yeah, I agree. Right. right. Um, and then in terms of, like, they were talking about the future for Severide professionally um, – and Derek, you know, this is a quote from Derek saying, you know, I would watch towards the end of last season for clues as to where this is years going. Those last three episodes for sure. Again, this is going to be be careful what you wish for. We're going to be like, he's so amazing. Like, arson, arson, arson. And then we're going to be like, nope, nope, never mind. He can go home now. Yeah. Again, I have my receipt, Derek. I, I will gladly give it back. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to return this wish. <laughs> right. Can I have my money back, please? <laughs> uh, refund. refund? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's about all the news we've got. As always, you guys know what to do. If you see any news, please send it to us. You guys are so good about that, and we greatly appreciate it. So I think it is now time to move into the episodes, shall we? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot. There's a lot. So if you blocked it out of your memory, and if you did, we don't blame you. The end of last week's Chicago Med ended with Natalie locking herself into a room with a six-year-old, three-year-old patient, not even six. He's younger than that, right? 
Um, locking herself yeah. in the room with a child patient to administer meds against the parents' wishes. Just going to let that simmer. Because that's what Natalie did. Just mm-hmm. every time I think she can't do something crazier, she does. Yeah. I mean, her heart is in the right place. It really, truly is. But God, did she, like, not go to med school? Like, this is, it's just, it's so bad. Yeah, I I mean, a heart in the right place, sure. But the way she's going about it, I feel like would get her fired anywhere in the real world. Well, that's what I'm saying is, like, in med, I'm, I'm sure in med school 101, they tell you, like, hey, these are the things you can't do. This is illegal. And, like, I'm sure, you know, things like this come up. But her heart's in the right place. But, like, at some point she has to – if she's not going to continuously get punished for it, then, like, there has to be a line drawn at some point. Then she's just going to keep doing wacky shit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, a line has to be drawn at some point. So Natalie pretty much hits like the disciplinary jackpot here because instead of just getting Goodwin to be like, no, she gets stuck in a room with Goodwin, Lannick, and Gwen. Like that's the disciplinary trifecta. You stick me in a room with those three, I'm going to cower in the corner and be like, I didn't do it. I'm sorry. Oh my God. But Natalie's just like, meh, whatever. Yeah. So it's bad. It's so bad. So Gwen sides with the parents. I mean, that's no surprise. But Goodwin seems pretty sympathetic to Natalie because this is just totally on brand and par for the course. But this time, I mean, and Twitter was blowing up too. A lot of people were like, screw you, Gwen, like F you, whatever. But this is finally one where I was like, no, I'm, I kind of agree with Gwen here. Natalie's gone rogue. Very, very rogue. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. I mean... We'll talk about it when there's like a section, certain section. I'm like, I don't know if I totally agree with Gwen on that part, but like, yeah, for the most part, I definitely agreed with Gwen. Yeah. So before Nat can leave, Goodwin just tells her, she's like, listen, if you're in any way compromised, you need to like recuse yourself from the case immediately. But Natalie's like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I was finally like, okay, I've been able to tell for these past like six episodes, she's not okay. But it was almost like a snuffleupagus type deal where it was like only Will could see it. And so I was like, with this, I was like, finally, like, people are going to see she's not okay. She's acting fucking weird. And everybody else was like, oh, she's fine. It's cool. Yeah. And I don't remember, I saw some talk about this on Twitter, and I don't remember the user who, like, brought up this point. Or maybe it was in an email. I don't remember exactly where I thought. So it's not my necessarily my thought, but I agree with it. Like, the idea that, like, I think Natalie needed to recognize it more than anyone and I think she starts to see it, you know, starting to see it and, like, take back her life a little bit in this episode, or at least by the end. But, like, I don't think it really matters. I mean, it matters to some extent what everyone else thinks because, you know, they can punish her for doing things wrong and, you know, all that stuff. But, like, Natalie more so than anyone else needed to, like, see that, like, she's not okay. You think she realized that in this episode? I don't think she fully realized, but I think she's starting to see it. I don't know if I agree with that. Maybe not necessarily, not necessarily in the medical sense, like not necessarily when it comes to her medical career, which is why I say she hasn't fully realized it. But I think her finally getting rid of Philip and like doing something about that part is her realizing that like, I wasn't totally okay. I was going with kind of just emotions and like what everyone told me to. And now I finally am trusting my gut. I mean, that's a whole other thing when it comes to the medical (laughs) stuff, but like, 
trusting my gut in terms of my personal life and like sticking up for myself and realizing that like I do have the power to like make my own choices. Yeah. Again, not necessarily that she realized it totally in the medical sense. Unless maybe she has some kind of wake up call and next week she's a totally different person. I doubt that, but still, still a chance that it could happen. Um, but I think she started to recognize it in terms of like personal stuff. I just put something together Manstead wise that I'll mention here in a minute. I just put it together in my head and I was just like, Oh, Oh, light bulb moment. I'll get back to it. But yeah. So I mean, maybe, maybe she's, she realized like, Oh wait, I wasn't okay. But now I'm starting to see clearer. I don't know. I just heard dumping Philip, which we'll talk about, but I think her dumping Philip is like a big part of it. Again, not necessarily with the medical stuff, but at least part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So Philip stops by the ED and brings her flowers for their six-month anniversary. Listen, Ian Harding, you are handsome, and you and Tori have the most adorable friendship, and I'm sure you are wonderful, but good God, Philip is a creeper. I don't like him. Just get out of here. Yeah, Philip, just leave. Just leave. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Automatic doors are to your right. Just go. Bye. So Philip's all, oh, I want to take you to dinner, but... Natalie's like, no, I'm concerned. I, you know, I want to make sure things are wrapped up with Lucas, which, um, why is she still his doctor? Yeah. Like, so Monique ends up giving Natalie this update and I was like, well, Monique, what are you doing? No, 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 no. This is why I just, I, listen, I mean, Gwen and Lanik were brought in to, you know, kind of be a little bit stricter, right? And like get shit together. But Natalie clearly went against these parents' wishes. She clearly did something that should have gotten her arrested. And she's still his doctor? It doesn't make sense to it me. It makes none of the sense. None. 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 So it's not pneumonia, but there is still something wrong with him. Which, like, at this point, Natalie should give the case to, like, Dr. Marcel or Will or anybody who is not Natalie Manning. But no, she is still hell-bent on finding out what is wrong with this kid. Mm-hmm. So... Maggie finds Nat in the doctor's lounge and they finally talk for like the first time in six episodes. Have we had yeah. Natalie and Maggie seen before this? I mean, brief ones, like the ones where Maggie's like being short with Natalie and stuff, but nothing this significant. Hmm. So I'm guessing Maggie must have told everybody about her breast cancer off screen because, um, you know, they talk about that and Natalie's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I wasn't here for you. Um, and you know, Maggie's like, no, it's like, I, I kept it under wraps. You had a lot going on. And so question for you in this one. So, I mean, it's not, I'm not a fan of the fact that they didn't address Maggie's cancer in this episode because I didn't want them to use it to like, I didn't want them to pick and choose in which episode she has cancer and which she doesn't. Does that make sense? No, it does. I will just say, though, it's been the only episode where they, I mean, I guess crossover aside, because the crossover is like an isolated thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's the only episode they haven't addressed it in. And I'm sure they're going to go back to it next week. Um, but I think at some point, too, like, you kind of have to balance the storylines. Mm-hmm. And like, we've got, I mean, I loved it, but we've gotten a ton of Maggie. And I think at this point, it just needed to, like, give and take a little bit somewhere else. I get it. I do. And you've only got X amount of time to tell X amount of stories. 
Yeah. I mean, I understand what you're talking about is like you don't want them to like fuck up the continuity either. But like, I think at some point too, you have to like balance that with like making sure you focus on all your characters too. Yeah, it's true. And I think this week she just drew the short straw. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, Natalie is talking to Maggie and she's like, yeah, I probably overthought Lucas's case. And she's just saying, she's like, what if a small part of me was just doing this to prove Will wrong? I think that's part of it. I think there's always a small part of her that wants to prove Will wrong. Yeah, but I don't think it's, I mean, I think Maggie does say, but I think Natalie has a lot going on and Natalie does a lot of questionable things, but I do think Maggie is right. in when she said, she's like, you know, no matter what you've got going on, you would never jeopardize a patient to prove Will wrong. So I think maybe like a small, like 5% of her does it to prove Will wrong, but I don't think she'd go out of her way to try to prove Will wrong if it meant jeopardizing a patient. Mm, I could see her doing that. Really? You think that like, she would be like, no, I have to show Will that he's wrong. If it meant like, she would, doing something that would harm a patient. She wouldn't do it intentionally. I don't know. I don't... I don't buy... I think, like, again, I agree that she does do part of some things to, like, prove Will wrong. But I don't think she... I think in the beginning of the Lucas case specifically, yeah, was she trying to prove Will wrong? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That, like, she could handle more than just, you know, like, charts. Yeah. Definitely. But I think at some point she dropped trying to prove Will wrong and like focus on like, no, something's actually wrong with Lucas and we need to get to the bottom of it. It also begs the question of, you know, is there ever a time when Will trusts her medical judgment? I feel like there's not. That's a problem. This is going to be so bad. Oh my God. This is going to, I'm going to make a comment and it's going to sound so bad, but like, I think the only time he hasn't is when they've been together romantically and he's getting something from her in that regard. Hot take. But, but like, it's not wrong though. Right. Like the only time I I think the only episodes where we didn't really see them questioning each other. I mean, they were fighting, but they weren't questioning each other was when they were together. That's not a hot take. That's just the truth. I think. Yeah. That's a problem. We'd be really good relationship therapists for those two. Why haven't they brought in a therapist? Like, I mean, Dr. Charles is psychiatry, but like, we need like a relationship therapist to like work at med. <laughs> we need one on site for all three shows. <laughs> yeah. Just have one like sit in the corner of the bullpen on PD and just mind his own business until, you know, something comes up. <laughs> right. Just, yeah. Especially I'm mad. Yeah, yeah. So Lucas starts coughing up blood. And this is when I'm finally like, all right, parents, sit your ass down. Like things are getting a little crazy here. So the parents start freaking out. And then especially, you know, Nat's like, no, the pneumonia diagnosis was wrong. And so the parents are still like, we want to take him home. This is where I draw the line. And I'm like, all right, now you guys are being fucking crazy. Like, calm yourselves. Obviously, you see coughing up blood is not normal. Right. Yeah, the parents did get, I mean, at some point it's like, like, clearly your kid is not getting better. It is clearly not a sinus infection, like, move over. But that's just my, I think, my personal judgment. Well, like, clearly your kid is getting worse. Like, your kid went from, like, oh, look, it's a sinus infection to coughing up blood. Right. 
Like you're in a hospital, let the doctors do their job. Yeah, that gets a little crazy. A little crazy. So Maggie has security remove the parents and gives Nat a few minutes to transfer Lucas to the PICU so she can do a scope. Somewhere in here, there's a court order that happens that like authorizes all this crazy stuff. It's a mess. And so Maggie comes into the PICU and tells Nat that the parents had their lawyer look into the court order, the court order that happened, and they realized that she started treating Lucas prior to the court order. So basically what happened here is the parents were like, hey, this shit's wrong, (laughs) kind of like we do every week. And so the police are on their way. And instead of being like, oh, shit, I should probably get my stuff together. Natalie's like, well, that means we have like 30 seconds to scope him. No, Natalie, that is not how this works. I literally like face palmed. I was like, what are we doing? Like, what are we actually doing? Like, what doctor thinks that and says, like, oh, that means we have like a minute before the cop cars pull up. So I better scope this kid pretty quickly. That's not normal. That's not how this goes. I feel like that's not how this works. Nope. 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 So it turns out he's got, Lucas has a bunch of like massive, like bloody inflammation in his throat, which just sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So Natalie gets whisked away to the 21st and Goodwin's like, I will call the hospital's lawyer. And Gwen turns around and Gwen is like, oh, hell no. So she says the hospital's not going to protect her. She got herself into this mess. She can get herself out of it. I agreed with Gwen. Really? See, here's my take. I agree with Gwen that, like, she needs to be able to, like, get herself out of it, but, like, still give her the lawyer and, like, let herself, like, get her, let her, let her get herself out of it. I mean, she so clearly broke the rules. Right, but it's still, like, a work thing, and I still think she should be able, I don't know what her contract looks like, but I'm sure it's probably somewhere in there that says, like, you can have access to the hospital lawyer, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if she messes up and if she gets, you know, months in jail or whatever, like, yeah, she deserves that. But, like, give her the hospital lawyer and then let her handle it. <laughs> like, that's more my thing. Next time Jeff and Steve come on, we should ask them whose malpractice insurance is higher, if it's Will or Natalie. At this point, oh. I know. I know. Whose premiums are higher? I don't know. I don't know. But maybe it might not be something, but I feel like if the hospital has lawyers, like, and something happened at the hospital, wouldn't Natalie, shouldn't Natalie still have access and the rights to the lawyer? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I I guess I can see that. Or my only problem with it. I agree with, like, she needs to deal with it herself and whatever comes her way comes her way, but I just feel like if She's supposed to have the lawyer. She should have the lawyer. Yeah, that's true. Well, so Goodwin finally comes in, and Goodwin finally makes sense of it all. Like, I was kind of with Gwen on this one until Goodwin talked to Lucas's mom, and then I was like, oh, thanks, Goodwin. It makes sense now. So she tells mom, she's like, listen, I'm not going to defend the way Dr. Manning handled it, but regardless of your differences, I'm asking you to trust that you have the same goals. Everything that Dr. Manning did was to save your son. So the minute she says, oh, we have the same goals, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, thanks, Dr. Good or Ms. Goodwin. This makes so much more sense now. But that's what I'm saying is, like, Natalie means well. She just goes about it the wrong way. Oh, the, the wrongest of ways. 
the only reason I can't get behind what Goodwin said here is she's like, you know, I'm not going to defend it. Well, then Natalie, I mean, as far as we know, Natalie, you know, well, I mean, spoiler alert, Natalie ends up getting released. Like, the charges get dropped. But, like, as far as we know, so Natalie doesn't get punished by the law. And as far as we know, she's not getting punished by med. So, like, Goodwin talked the talk but didn't walk the walk. Right. Which is always, always. Right, but it just... It's getting it's so frustrating. It gets old. Yeah. It's, getting ridiculous. It's, it's getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah, it's getting frustrating. We had the circle of Severide, and now we have the circle of Natalie. Right. Like, at this point, I mean, maybe because it's PD, but, like, Bruzik went to jail. Like, have Natalie go to jail. I mean, have Natalie do something. Yeah. Like, it's not crazy. Right. Like, I'd believe it ten times more. Or even just have her get suspended. Like, I don't really care. You can work around it. I just, ooh. Reese got suspended for pepper spraying a patient. That was one time. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, it's not that hard to no. suspend her. It's really not. No. And we'd all be okay. We'd all stop complaining. Temporarily. Yeah. We'd still, every time Natalie does something, we'd still be like, this is stupid. But as long as they punish her, I don't really care. Right. Right. So, I mean, I laughed out loud when Maggie was like, trust your instincts. Did you? Oh, my God. I died laughing. Yeah, because she was like, they've never steered you wrong. I'm like, but there was the time when this happened, and then the time when that happened, and the patient with this. I was able to recall, like, six different incidents. I died. I thought it was the funniest thing. Yeah, it was interesting. But, I mean, the advice steered her right this time, so that was nice. Yeah. Well, partly. 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 Partly, yeah. So Will is talking to Dr. Marcel at the end of the episode, and he feels really guilty about what he did to his patient, David. We'll get to that. But he mentions to Dr. Marcel, he's like, I did the same thing to Natalie. I wanted to believe, because of her TBI, that she didn't remember that she still loved me. And Dr. Marcel is like wingman of the year over here. He comes clean that night and about the fact that Nat did not get engaged to Philip. which, okay, I love that he came clean to Will, but also why didn't he do so sooner? Right. Right. That was exactly what I was going to say. Like, dude, episode two, where were you? But also he's or- known for this many weeks that she didn't say yes to Philip and she's, he's just letting everybody go along with it. Yeah. I, I still don't have a great read on Marcel. I just, I don't. That I know. I and I, him being new is like not even an excuse. Like that would have made you a lot of friends, Dr. Marcel. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't make you enemy enemies. It wouldn't make you enemies and enemies. It would. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Getting finding you up in here. I know anemone. <laughs> um, but yeah, still, it would have made him friends for sure. And I mean, I, I like that he's coming clean now, but also like mm, a little sooner would have been really great. I don't know. Yeah. So Nat talks to Philip outside the hospital, and she breaks up with him. Yes! It's so good. And she says, she's like, well, on the surface, everything seems perfect, but in my gut, it just doesn't feel right. And I feel like we see the moment when Philip goes from fiancé to psycho. Like, you just see the switch just kind of flip. Yeah. Crazy. So Will crashes the party, because, of course, he does. He shows up, and he tells Nat, he's like, Philip's been lying to you, you know, this is what's going on. So Natalie walks away. Philip tries to go after her. And Will just gets in his face and is like, you need to stay away from her. 
it's just, it's good. It's good. I don't know why, but like when Will tries to go all alpha male, it's like adorable because I'm just like, Will, stop. Just stop. But Natalie is so mad at Will. She's so mad at him. Oh my God. And so she, she just looks at him and she's like, I can take care of myself. I don't need your help. I don't want your help. And then I think the last line she says to him is like, stay out of my life. Yeah. I mean, I, it's tough because like I see where Nat's coming from, but also she doesn't know that she kind of needs his help and she needs him like, or she needs him looking over her shoulder basically because she's not okay, but she doesn't know that she's not okay. But she doesn't need Will, right? Like she needs someone looking over her shoulder. And I think she's, I think she's, I think the problem with Will looking over her shoulder is it's, is it Will looking over her shoulder? Like, Will can't really seem to separate the professional from the personal. Right. And so I think, and that's Natalie's problem with him right now, is that she doesn't know if he's, like, acting out of, like, oh, my God, I love this woman, or if, like, Natalie's actually doing stuff wrong. I mean, it's a a solid mix of both. Right. But... Natalie needs to realize from someone else telling her, hey, you can't do, like, you know, like, you're not right professionally and, like, not have it be clouded by romantic feelings. I mean, but so we, she's like, go ahead. We, we saw in this episode that, like, it's not going to come from anybody else. Goodwin and Maggie are not going to be those people for her. Right, but Will can't be that person either. Only because... Like, I tr- I truly don't believe that, like, yeah, Will loves her, but, like, that's always been my problem with, like, how much these couples work together is that, like, at some point, it, if the lines have blended, I mean, the lines have blended in this, and, like, it's hurting patients. Yeah. And, like, if Will needs, like, if Will, I only want them to get back together if they can completely separate I mean, besides the occasional cases, they're going to work. But, like, if they can truly separate, like, that thing. Because it's not going to work otherwise. It's just not for them. It's just not. So do you think Natalie is going to have to basically just kind of fall flat on her face before she... Yeah. Okay, yeah. She's going to have to fall without Will there as a safety net. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think whatever this, like, if it is truly Will that got beat up, I think she may realize that she still has feelings for him but I think separately from that she needs to fall flat on her face professionally and I was hoping this would be it but it, it clearly isn't going to be that was the light bulb moment that I had earlier too is I was like okay Will's going to get attacked and that's going to make Natalie you know come back to him sort of hopefully I mean hopefully we don't know that but like hopefully but like I need that to be separate from her professional like getting back to where she is professionally I just I, I yeah because yeah. I want them to be back together, but, like, not if it's going to hinder them being the best doctors that they can be. And it clearly has this season. Those two are just a mess. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's putting it lightly. I think Will has good intentions, but, you know, of course, he just doesn't think before he acts. Well, you could say the same thing about Natalie. Oh, yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yikes. Yeah. So, moving on. We were hashtag blessed with all the Sexton siblings action we got in this episode. 
I really just love like Roland took a seat or they Roland took a season off. They didn't have him back for a whole season, whatever you want to say. I don't know the exact details, but like he's come back and he's been in like all these episodes this season. I'm just like, yes, give me all the Noah Sexton. Yes. All of the Noah. And this was so good too. Oh my God. Confident Noah Sexton is like a mood. It is a, yeah, it's definitely my jam this season. I'm feeling confident Noah Sexton. It's pretty great. It's so good. So good. So April is unpacking boxes at Ethan's when we start. Um, did they move in together? And if so, when did we, when did this happen? When did we miss the memo? Okay, here's what I'm thinking. So, you know how, what is Ethan's nephew's name? Vincent. So, because remember, Yaya, I did, and it didn't click to me until this morning when Yaya was, I was looking at Yaya's story, and she had, like, the screen grab of her holding Vincent, and that she was like, oh, yeah, all new episode tonight or whatever. I wonder if somehow that has to do with whatever scene that was cut, because clearly the Vincent stuff was cut. Good point. Because you even text me, you're like, oh, yeah, Vincent's coming, you know, Vincent and I forget Arden's character's name. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, they're coming back, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I think that got cut. It must have. So I wonder if that had to tie in. But there was the, I don't know. I don't know if it really tied in. But just something to point out. But then she also slips in the bit about, like, oh, well, when we're married. Stop, April. Stop right there. Back it up. When we're what? Did you just say that? Right. Uh, Yeah. So uh, domesticated Chexton is happening right in front of our eyes. It's amazing. Well, that too. Chexton slash sex toy. But sex toy is so much better. I know. It really is just so much funnier. But they're, they're, they're presumably moving in together. They're talking about marriage. This is amazing. Yeah. Also, Laura pointed this out to us, so I can't take credit. But Ethan clearly still is the parrot. Like, you can hear it in the background of the scene. I heard that. Yeah, I heard that. And I was looking around. I was like, where is it? Where is it? But cool touch. Very nice idea to just add the squawk in the background. Like, well done. Yeah. It was just like, oh, that's a nice detail. Okay. Continuity. I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah. So not only do we get domesticated April and Ethan, we get the Sexton siblings. Not only that, but apparently they go for morning runs together. That is some cute shit. I love it. I love it so much. I love it. I love it. I love my one Chicago siblings when they're being siblings and doing just sibling things. And I love it. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. But of course, as most things in one Chicago go, can't just stay status quo for long. You know, they can't enjoy the tailgate forever. Can't enjoy their morning run. (laughs) Will can't walk his dog before they find a woman in the snow. But basically they turn (laughs) the corner and they see a girl getting beat up in an alley. And... This time, it's not even April who leads the chart. It's Noah. I I love it. I love it. I love the character growth. I wonder if Marcel has, like, infused some confidence in him. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, God, Noah's got to keep it up because it's so good. It is so good. It is so good. So Noah's like, hey, call PD. And the girl says no because she's illegal. So she refuses to go to the ED, but then she just conks right out in Noah's arms. So didn't end the way she wanted it to. But back at the ED, she wakes up. She freaks out that she's in the hospital. Apparently her lung collapsed while she was out. But so like she needs to just kind of rest for a while. 
Meanwhile, there's a random scene in there of April taking a pregnancy test. What is happening? I, I that was like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah. Like, huh? And it's like she's clearly not pregnant based on the test. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It says not pregnant, but like, I love how. I mean, I love and I also hate that they just like threw it in there and then they never talked about it again. I was like, what? Huh? What was it, like, that? Never came. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm assuming it's coming up again at some point, but like, geez. I'm enjoying the, the, I, I really enjoyed the, like the WTF nature of this storyline with April and Noah, how things just came up and we were like, wait, what was that? What was that? So, I mean, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was, yeah. Kind of kept us all on our toes. <laughs> kind of. No, it definitely kept us all on our toes. So... Noah tells April, I think her name was Hacinda, or however, I don't know. Noah said it a certain way, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, Noah tells April that she was once admitted to the hospital when she was a kid for food poisoning. But she also has a valid social security number. So, like, that was just a terribly executed lie. Right. It was just like, and why did she lie? Fun fact. "Hmm." Okay. Do you know how to tell if a social security number is fake? No. So the beginning numbers of your social security number is based on where in the country you're born. And I think it was assigned like one through seven or one through eight. So any social security number that starts with the number nine is not real. Interesting. Can it be fake though if it starts with a two? Like, it, like, like can they make up a fake? I mean, I'm sure, I guess they can, but like. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you can make up a fake social security number. But I guess one way to say for sure is if it starts with a nine, if then it it's starts fake. With a nine. Yeah, my old manager at Starbucks told me that like a bajillion years ago. And I was like, cool. I don't know. There might not even be any like truth to that. One of our listeners is going to be like, Gina, you're full of shit. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, the more you know. Mm-hmm. So... Hacinda is basically, she's freaking out because, you know, she doesn't want anybody to find her after, you know, Noah and April are like, okay, listen, we know you lied. Like, we know the deal. So they were apparently jumping her into the gang, which I guess, like, to join the gang, they beat the shit out of you. Yeah. That's nuts. So her cousin shows up and tries to get her discharged. And, like, Noah standing up to these guys is the best. It's so good. Like, season two Noah would not have done this. No, no, not even season three, Noah. Right. But like season five, Noah is like, dang. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. The way he just like stepped up to them, but he he was still totally Noah about it. He didn't try to get all like tough guy. He was just like, so I'm Dr. Sexton. Here's the deal. But he definitely like stood up in a way that baby Noah would not have. Well, he was like smooth. Like he knew, you know his own lie, like, he knew what he was going to say. He's like, oh, yeah, no, the blood test, like, you have to wait. Like, I promise, like, you know, we have to wait for the results. Like, she can't go home, you know, but whatever. And he was smooth about it, too. So smooth about it. So smooth. And so once they leave, she says, she's like, you should have left me how I was. Like, you should have let me finish what they started or let them finish what they started. And Noah just doesn't understand. And then she just really drives it home. And she says, listen, if they don't jump you in, they sex you in. And the minute she said that, like, you could see the fire and Noah just get like ignited because he was like oh hell no like this is not happening I loved it 
I, I loved it so much. It, it really, like, it, it triggered Noah in a way we've never seen before. I mean, no. No. And so April calls the cops on the cousins, and Noah's really mad. And so Noah's like, I wasn't – or April says, you know, I wasn't going to let you put that girl or yourself at risk. The cops can protect her better than we can. Okay, so uh, I see why Noah was pissed, but it wasn't for why he thinks. He's like, you know, you're always going to see me as your little brother. You're always going to see me as, you know, this little boy that you have to protect. That's not the deal. We're talking about sexual assault here. So I feel like – it's hitting April as much as it's hitting Noah, just differently. Yes. I mean, but technically, I mean, we don't know that for sure, but like it hasn't technically been sexual assault yet. Potential sexual assault. Right. Right. I mean, I understand why, like knowing what they know, and obviously he's a gang member, like why she called the cops on him. Mm -hmm. I still kind of, I think, took Noah's side, like... You do have to build the trust. Like, you're telling this girl that she could trust you, and then you turn around and, like, betray that trust. Yeah. Yeah. But I see so why April I, called the cops. Yeah. I still, I think, more side with Noah, though. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, I see why both of them did what they did. But later that night, oh, my goodness, our little Noah Sexton has grown the F up, y'all. Well, you forgot, you forgot the most important part, that, like... They go to the bay or whatever they're called and like Jacinda's gone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the cops get called and Noah's really mad because they go back to the bay and yeah, Jacinda is MIA. She is gone. And so now Noah's really pissed. The end of this episode, y'all, later that night, Noah unlocks the door to his place and Jacinda follows him in. She's staying with him. I love it. Noah has grown the F up. I love it. I love every minute of it, especially when she goes to call on Dr. Sexton and he's like, it's, it's Noah. It's Noah. This is going to backfire on him terribly, but I love it so much. Right. Like he's doing what he believes in. He's like making a stand, like taking a stand, but like good for him. Yeah. Good for him. You don't think they're going to try and make a relationship out of this, do you? I mean, I wouldn't say no, but no. You don't think so? No, they got too much else on their plate. No. This is going to back I mean, I wouldn't so say badly. no if it, ha- if it happened. Even if it was just, like, comments here and there. I wouldn't care. I would love it. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're trying to get her out of town. So, nah, I don't think it's going to happen. This is just fantastic, all of it. I am just, I am trash for all of this Noah stuff they're throwing our way. <laughs> also, yeah, make Roland a regular 2020. Thank you. Oh my god, can we start that shirt? Like, hell yeah. Geez. Hell yeah, we can start that campaign. Hashtag that, make Roland a regular 2020. He's in Chicago right now. I mean, and I would say like, oh, it's not because he's a friend of the pod. It's totally because he's a friend of the pod and we're biased and we love him so much. Okay, but still, also, like, he should have been a regular a long time ago. A long time ago. Yep. Also, Roland, will you come back on in the spring, please? We would love that. Please. 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 We missed you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see where this goes. So excited. Uh Uh-huh. Me too. Yeah. So, Bryna, will you take us through Dr. Charles and Dr. Choi, please? 
Yes. So basically, Maggie tells Dr. Charles that there's a patient in treatment three asking for him. It's some guy named Titus Witherdale. And Dr. Charles is like, oh, yeah, like, I knew him. Like, I, you know, he grew up with my brother and they play sports, blah, 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 whatever he says. But when he goes in there, he sees that Titus is now Claire. Y'all, they used a trans actress. I know. I love it. So good. When I love too, like Wolf Entertainment was tweeting, they were like, you know, the writers actually consulted like this actress, you know, like about her story so that they could like get it right, which I, I loved. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I love this Wolf Entertainment account because we're getting so much more behind the scenes stuff. I know. I love it. And also representation matters. So love it. Love it. Love it. So good. Yeah. And so basically Claire's been short of breath and has a little pain in her chest. Um, and it starts getting worse. And so Dr. Charles is like, yo, Dr. Choi, like, I need you to come look at this. And Choi comes back and he's like, Claire, you had a small heart attack. And she's, you know, freaking out, of course, as anyone would. And But they get interrupted by Claire's ex-wife, Melinda, who basically, like, can't handle it because she didn't know that Titus had become Claire. And so she ends up, like, running away. And so Dr. Charles goes after her. And they end up having coffee and they're, you know, just talking about everything in the situation. And Melinda's like, she doesn't necessarily care that it happened, but like, she's like, you know, why didn't he trust me enough, like, to share this with me? Um, and so, of course, Dr. Charles is just like the right person to talk to about this because he always. He's the know. right person to talk to about everything. Right. Exactly. But Melinda still is like, I don't think I can do this, and, like, leaves. And so, Choi and Dr. Charles are talking about the situation, and Choi's like, yo, she has significant coronary artery disease, and, like, cardiology is advising, though, that she go off the feminizing hormones that she's been taking, because apparently those can, like, they don't cause heart stuff but they can affect like if she already has since she already has the heart stuff going on so they basically tell Claire this and of course as soon as they tell Claire this like Melinda shows back up and they they're not getting back together but you know they apologize and they have a moment and they're there to comfort each other and it's just like an awesome moment yeah it's a really really sweet scene then, of course, this parallels what's happening on the Goodwin side because basically earlier in the episode, Dr. Charles sees Goodwin in the elevator and she's like, or he's like, I'm so sorry for the Bert situation. I really had no idea, blah, blah, blah. And Goodwin's like, oh, yeah, well, Bert's now been asking me out for drinks like five times. You know, I don't know if I'm going to go, but like, this is now a thing. And then at the end of the episode, Dr. Charles tells Goodwin about this like miracle he witnessed, you know. Two people who hurt each other greatly becoming a source of comfort. <laughs> and Goodwin even makes a comment about, like, um, the fact that it, like, you know, just happened to parallel the situation she's going through and, you know, yeah, all this stuff. But, I mean, then we see, like, Goodwin does meet up with drink for drinks with Bert, so. Who knows? Yeah. I just love how Dr. Charles is never phased by anything. Yeah. Like, he could take on... he. I would want him by my side in, like, a zombie apocalypse. Yes. Yes. He would definitely be on my zombie apocalypse team. 
Right. Not necessarily for like the physical stuff, but like he like smart wise, he would take on anything. Okay, you're one Chicago zombie apocalypse team and go. Are we how many do I pick? Let's say you get four. So you make five. So five people on a team, four of them are one Chicago, one of them is you. Dr. Charles, Jay, Severide. Sylvie. Good thinking. I think. But yeah, that's what I'm going with right now. No, that's really good though. Because Yeah, that's really good. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm taking Cruz because of the slam again that he can use to kill the zombies. Um, also taking Voight because I feel like he could get creative with a gun and an axe. Okay, so Cruz, Voight. I'm going to take Emily and take a page out of your book. You know, you have a paramedic on site just to treat the wounds. And I got one other person. Have another female. Say what? That was more like, I thought, it would also just have another female on your team. Yeah, yeah. Who am I taking for that last spot? Let's see. Trudy Platt. No, or Upton. Upton. I would take Upton. Or Trudy. Hmm. I can't decide. I would take any of the females from PD. The solid team. Yeah, yeah. Because then you got Voight and any of the females from PD because they can, like, wield a weapon. Cruz has the slam again. Or the Halligan or whatever. And then Foster's on set. And she's tough. So, like, you know, if she needs to kill something, she can. So you're not taking anyone from med? I, oh, man. Can I make a second team? <laughs> um, who from med would you take in a zombie apocalypse, though, aside from Dr. Charles? Ethan, because he was a combat medic. Yeah. Or no, a na- he was or a no. doctor in the Navy. I can't remember what he did. Ethan. Who did I say? He's in the Navy. Well, I'm also saying Ethan or Noah. That's who I would pick, aside okay. from Dr. Charles. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad we sorted that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the walking well, Chicago. <laughs> hey, would not put it past them. <laughs> important work we just did important yeah all right so take Uh, us through will and dr marcel too what were you gonna say no i was just gonna say how do you feel about this good one and burnt stuff though i don't know where it's going i mean i'm okay with it i just don't know where it's going i don't know where it's going and i don't know how i feel about it because i don't know where it's going and if we're drawing parallels with dr charles's patient why are they why do they need to become a source of comfort for each other what's going on well, I mean, Bert did technically lose his wife, or his second wife. A long time ago, though, right? Wasn't that last season? It's since we've been doing the podcast. I thought it was like two seasons ago. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we've been doing the podcast now for a while, but I don't know. I don't know. I'm just yeah. saying. I don't know where it's going, but I'm okay with it, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um. Okay. Will and Marcel. So basically, Will and Marcel are working on this patient, David, who was ejected from a car during a car crash because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Like, duh. Wear your seatbelts, people. Please. And don't put your feet on the dash. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So basically, Doris finds a no-blood card in his wallet because he's a Jehovah's Witness. But the issue is, though, is that, like, it's over 10 years old. 
And so it was signed by his parents when he was a minor. So, like, does it really still hold up? Yeah. We don't really know. That's the whole issue. Semantics. I am curious, though. Like, does that hold up? I don't know. Uh, he was a minor, and it was signed by his parents. But how old is he now? Did we did we find that out? No, but my guess is, you know, like, probably not that much. Like, 22. Like, or, you know, like, something like that. Like, he's not that much older. I would just imagine he would probably have to get a new one. But I don't know. Well, I'm just thinking about it, too, because, I'm, I mean, this is a completely different situation. But a lot of times when I worked in a doctor's office and on the times where I would help in insurance and stuff, like, if you had debt, like, if you had basically were in collections to the office, but you were a minor from that visit and, like, you were a minor when it happened, like, you can still come back and, like, be seen as, like, a 35-year-old. Because, like, what happened, like, was your parents' fault, mm-hmm. not your own. So, like, does that apply in some weird way to this situation? Like, you would have to have, like, a new card, like, the adult version of your card that's, like, you saying it rather than your parents. Or is yeah. it, I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. So, but they're trying to figure that out. Basically, David's parents show up. And, again, they need this. He needs op- He needs an operation is, like, what they've come down. They've, like, decided he, like, needs to be operated on. And so they, of course, need consent to operate. But you're like, why do they need consent, though? I think he's unconscious. But, like, what happens if I went to, like... I think it's because he's unconscious and his parents are there. If his parents weren't there, I would think that they can make the decisions. Okay. That's what I was thinking. And Will wanted to see if they could circumvent the no blood card. That's this part? Okay. Yeah. So, of course, obviously an operation needs blood. And so the parents are like, no. And this Will, like, tries to explain. He's like, David is in very, like, he's in rough shape. Like, he, you know, needs this. And he, they're still like, no. Which is, like, and slightly so hypocritical. Like- or hypocritical. Hypocritical. Words. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, because, I mean... You know, last week you had Natalie administering meds against the patient's consent and Will is all like, that's the second time a parent's lost judgment in you or like lost faith in you. And then these parents are like, no, no blood. And Will's like, okay, but like pot, kettle, Will, what you doing? Yeah. So Will goes decides he's going to confront Marcel about this. And he's like, how can you accept this? And Marcel's like, you know, for the bridges, you know, the consequences of receiving blood is worse than death. Like, we may not like it, but you have to accept it. And then he, like, later on, he's like, you might need a little refresher in medical ethics. And I was like, yes, Marcel. I died. Thank you. I was like, that's hysterical. Say it louder for the people in the back. (laughs) Like, put it on a billboard. I don't care. However, you need to get that message across. (laughs) It's so bad. It also took the new guy six episodes to like to figure out what we've been screaming for five seasons. Right. Love it. <laughs> but things get worse, though, where because Will gets the results of David's tax screen. And as it turns out, not only was he not wearing his seatbelt in the car, but he was also drunk and high at the time. So. SMH. I know. So, of course, Will takes us to mean, though, he's like totally convinced that this means that David is not a practicing Jehovah's Witness anymore. And I so can't he starts blame pushing. him on this one, though. Right. 
You can assume that, though, but you know what they say happens when you assume things. Makes an ass out of you and me. Yeah. I know. I know. I thought my best friend was the only one who knew that expression. Like, she used to say it all the time when we were in high school, and it used to drive me nuts. (laughs) I say it all the time. I know. But what's the difference between assuming and, you know, being a detective, like Severide, you know, in these arson cases? Okay, but you don't then, like, push your theories onto someone and, like, make decisions for them. Like, you can assume it all. Right. Well, and will in some weird ways in this thing. But basically, okay. So it starts crashing. And will, in some way, circumvents the whole situation and convinces the parents to, like, give him blood. And he's like, I don't think you know your son's wishes. And so... Because he's like, I was on the phone with, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, like, David stopped pioneering. He has this tattoo of something that Jehovah's Witnesses don't even believe in. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. He's like, he no longer shares your beliefs. It's not right that he should die for them. So then, of course, the parents believe what Will believes. Will's done enough to convince them. And they up and abandon their son. Yeah, I, I mean, this is just unfortunate. I mean, I really can't fault Will. He, you know, put the facts together and, you know, he uh, he was totally skewed by, you know, what he wanted to happen, yes. But, like, for once, he did something where I'm not just like, Will, for fuck's sake. I'm like, no, okay, Will, you had, you know, you did a little bit of digging. Wasn't enough, but you did it. So, all right. Yeah. I don't know. I, but basically, so they end up doing the surgery because the parents are gone. So that means they can give him the blood. And David, of course, wakes up after the surgery and he freaks out when they learn they've given him blood because he was going to get the tattoo removed. And he was he was like, yeah, I was a little lost, but, you know, I was on my way back to like being a Jehovah's Witness again. So they done fucked up. Will done fucked up. Yeah. Yep. What do you think here? I mean, you think Will went too far? Yeah. 100%. Like, yeah, it sucked that David may have died without the... I mean, it would have been terrible, but, like, medical ethics 101. You can't do it. Medical ethics? What are those? I know, but, like, he fucked up. He did. He did. He fucked up. You know what got me a little bit is that... I was a little bummed that they didn't address his patient from last week because I feel like I feel like if he wasn't so preoccupied with Natalie, that patient from last week would have lived. Well, yeah. But like, there's nothing he can do about it now. No, obviously. I know. I know. But and like, he didn't technically do anything wrong. He just didn't give his patient the time. He didn't like medically mess up, though. So this episode is pretty much Will and the horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. But I, the thing is, though, I still think Nat- what Natalie did is worse. I mean, what Natalie did is ten times worse. But Will shouldn't. Will should also not be excused either. I mean, I don't think Will deserves to be suspended for this, but, like, Will deserves a slap on the wrist for this, for sure. I mean, I imagine that patient would definitely have a cause of action against the hospital. Maybe. He's also like a dumb twenty or twenty year old. I'm making up a number, but like twenty year old, like the oh, twenty yeah, year old really cares. Driving drunk, yeah, right, and like high. So, does he really probably care to like 
file a class loss or whatever it what kind of lawsuit it would be. Probably not. I don't know. So any other notes about med? No, but that was a ton to talk about. Yeah, I don't know why I feel like that was a tame episode. It wasn't. It was, no, it was not nice. at all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah. All right, fire time. So let's start off with Gallo and Casey. This was a pretty good Gallo episode. Also, um, beer battered pancakes. Have you ever heard of that in your life? Uh, no, but can we try them? Yeah, we totally can. I I haven't told Charlie yet, but the minute I tell him, like, hey, there was something about beer battered pancakes on fire, he's going to be like, cool, let's try it. But apparently it's really good. If I don't you know. do, you have to film it and put it on the Meet and Somalis Instagram. I will. I will. I certainly will. Um, maybe I should message Charlie right now and be like, babe, we're making beer battered pancakes this weekend. <laughs> yeah, fine. Let's go to Pinterest, find that recipe. Challenge accepted. So... <laughs> <laughs> and also that that opening scene when Gallo tosses Casey the pancake when they get the call. I was like, yes, I love that. I don't know why, but I, they do the most random I shit that I'm like, cool. I did love it. It was cool. It was so great. So 51 gets called to a house fire and Casey sends Gallo to the back but tells him not to go in. It's like strict instructions. It's so easy. He's like, go to the back. Do not go in. I don't know why, but when somebody says don't on any of these shows, it secretly means do. So, yeah, I don't know. So Gallo goes around to the back, and he sees this little boy who comes out of nowhere, and this little boy is frantic. He's like, my whole family's inside, my mom, my dad, my grandmother. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to Google beer pancakes and this at the same time. <laughs> beer pancake recipes. Okay, there we go. I, I will report back with my findings. Oh, beer pancakes with Can Canada's craft beer. Oh, this is fun. All right. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Okay. Focus. Anyway, so Gallo feels for this little boy, right? Because, I mean, you obviously see it just like ignite something in him and no pun intended with the word ignites. But Gallo goes in with the Halligan. He, he goes in and doesn't tell anybody, but like Fire Science 101, you know, you introduce that much oxygen into the fire, it's going to have to come out somewhere. And so when Casey opens the door, a giant fireball, like, blows Blake out of the door. Pretty much. Yeah. And so the only person inside is Grandma. They find her alive. They get her out. She bonds with Severide, which is, like, the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I thought that was it. cute. And then when, when he, she was like, Kelly, a good Irish firefighter, I was just like, oh, she's so cute. And then she, like, didn't yeah. want Severide to leave her. Just adorable. Severide's good with everybody, not just kids. <laughs> All ages. Yeah. All but ages. actually. But actually, though, yeah. So Blake is trying to play it cool, but Casey's like, you have a bunch of soot on your face. So I see what's happening here. The longer Blake went without saying anything, the more I cringed. I was like, you don't want to see Casey when he's angry. Like, he's going to kick your ass, kid. Don't do it. This was, like, level though but yeah we'll get there this was what this was like a whole different level of casey angry though yes. but we'll get there yeah big time big time so back at 51 gallo is worried about grandma he asks 61 and he doesn't really say why so casey ends up confronting gallo the minute casey pulls gallo into that room i'm like oh no oh no <laughs> sorry blake oh no and so Gallo ends up coming to clean, coming clean about what happened. And Casey just rips him to shreds, which is exactly what we thought was going to happen. I mean. 
Right. But again, this is like Casey, like we've never seen him before. Angrier than usual? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He He's mad. So, I mean, in typical angry, just imagine this line in angry Casey form. So he's like, Gallo, I stuck my neck out to get you into 51 when everyone else was telling me you're too impulsive. So then Casey punishes him by giving him every dirty job known to man. He's going to clean all the toilets, scrub all the floors, do as many horrible things as he can. And he even tells him, he's like, I hope Bowden doesn't fire your ass. Casey mad. Casey very mad. Yeah, that was that I was like, oh, crap, Casey. It's, yeah. That's why I don't like angry Casey is because he lashes out. But, I mean, in this case, I feel like it's totally warranted because, like, literally, like, you had one job. But he right. lashes out. He always goes a little too far, and then it's like, sorry, my bad. Yeah. So bad. So at Molly's, Bowden talks to Casey, and he's like, listen, I've watched you take him under your wing. You found potential in him. I believe that under your command, he will live up to that potential. And then Bowden fills Casey in on Gallo's story. And so Casey understands, but he's also still kind of upset that Gallo should have told him. But to me, I mean, I hear that and I'm like, but maybe he wasn't comfortable telling you that. Like, you're his captain. Right. He also, he hasn't formed that bond with you yet. He doesn't trust you. And I think like Bowden said, like, it's not, it's Gallo's story to tell. And if Gallo is not ready to tell it, he doesn't have to tell it. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, this all resolves itself and everything, but I don't really like the way that Casey almost like forces him into telling the story. Yeah. And he just just kind of waits and like keeps on punishing him until Gallo comes clean. And it's like, dude, that's not also the way to do it either. No, not the most effective way to do it. No, no. And like, he wouldn't even tell Ritter when, and like when Ritter sees that Gallo's like clearly affected by this, I mean, he doesn't even know the story. Because I mean, again, this was probably the worst day of Gallo's life. Like it's not something that he's willing to retell on a whim. Right. Yeah. So the next morning on shift, Casey asks Gallo what happened at the fire, but he relays it very technically. He's like, you asked me to go around the corner. I opened the door about this many inches. He just relays the story. And so Casey just gives him more to do, which like, I know what you're trying to do with the kid, but also this is beyond that. It's... Also, don't. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't force it. This is, in, I mean, I I get that, like, they're firefighters and they have to trust each other with each other's lives, but also, wait. I mean, and Gallo's really young, too. So this happened, what, when Gallo was, like, 12, didn't they say? Yeah, something like that. He's, what, like, early 20s now? At most? Yeah. Yeah. So this wasn't that long ago for him. Yeah. I, I just didn't agree with Casey backing him into a corner almost. No, me either. Right, right. And so, eh. so Casey gives him more chores, and then Gallo basically vents to Ritter. This friendship is just—it's we've we've had very little of it, but it's fantastic. It is so oh good, so good. But I think the thing that I thought was most interesting—I mean, as much as I love the friendship part—like Gallo doesn't see—he's like. He doesn't take what, I mean, he takes what Casey said to heart, but he doesn't, he's not offended by it. He's like, you know what? Like, it's on me. Like, all I have to do is keep working my ass off and, like, show him that I'm here, meant to be here. Yeah, he takes it in stride. Right. Like, I was like, oh, my God, Gallo. I was like, I love you. Yeah. Oh, my God, for sure. He's just such a good kid. Like, it's just so good. Um, 
And by the way, at the end of this episode, you will hear our interview with Alberto Rosende. So don't forget to hang on. Forgot about that part. Yes. So he vents about everything to Ritter, but he vents to Ritter, but he doesn't tell him the story. Like, that's how painful it is, is that he's confiding in Ritter, but he won't even confide that. Yeah, but I mean, that's also too, like, that's still just as new of a friendship. Like, you know, like, there's only few people sometimes that you want to tell, like, your deepest, darkest personal stuff to. And, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, then plus, I mean, if, if, you know, if Gallo's thinking of it this deeply, he, I mean, maybe he doesn't want the firehouse to take pity on him. Well, yeah, I think that's probably part of it, too. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. So Gallo finally overhears that, you know, there's a police investigation into the fire and the grandmother didn't make it, which even I was bummed about. I'm like, they couldn't save grandma. (laughs) Like she was such a sweet lady. But he gets pissed and he actually even like accidentally lashes out at Casey. Uh, And so once he gets so upset, Ritter goes to check on him and... Ritter just says he's like talk to Casey about whatever it is that's going on with you he also has the line in there where he's like it's okay to be yourself at this firehouse I was like stop it like I love it so much I love it I need more of this friendship like now please so is it Ritlow is it Galler what's their name yeah I I don't know I think we need to make a poll we do need to make a poll yeah for sure, for sure. So Gallo goes to see Casey and he finally comes clean about everything. But there's more. So, because obviously we just knew the story of, you know, his whole family was killed in that fire. Well, Gallo harbors all this guilt because he heard his sister call his name in the fire, but he ran and hid in a closet because he was too scared. Like, to have to deal with that every day of your life for 10 straight years, that is just, that's heavy. Well, and too, like, to have to deal with it at any time in your life is heavy, but, like, to deal with it and have it gone through that at, like, such a, yeah. 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 So. It just, my heart hurts. I know. I know. Yeah. And so I think at one point he looks at Casey and he's like, does this make me a bad firefighter? Which, like, But Casey just says, he's like, that's what's going to make you a great firefighter. Like, we all have some kind of pain that we're living with. Um, Hallie reference. (laughs) When was the last time Casey himself actually referenced Hallie? Like, at the end of season one, when she died? Well, no, probably two. He, he? he was referencing Hallie for a lot of season two. Did he? Well, because, you know, there was the whole, when he and Dawson first get together, he's like, you know, I've been through a lot of crap, I should have done this the right, blah, blah, blah. Like, he, he talked about Hallie in season two. Okay, yeah, so season two. But shout out to Hallie. Man. Pour one out for Hallie. Pour one out for Hallie, yeah. This was a really good scene. And then when, like, when Casey starts talking about pain and he's like, when you admit to the pain, own it. You know, that's when it scars over, makes you stronger, becomes the armor you wear in battle. I was like, Casey, with the Dr. Charles quotes tonight, damn. Oh, my God. I thought that was, like, the best thing Casey's ever said. For real. Yeah. Yeah, that's up there. It's one of my favorite Casey moments. And just, like, you said, like, such a good quote. Mm -hmm. Like, I love it. Yeah, it's so, so good. So good. Also, I think Gallo is officially, like, the cinnamon roll of Firehouse 51. Like, protect him at all costs. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I was just like, oh, my God, Gallo, my little baby. Protect him. <laughs> Bubble wrap him. He's so cute. <laughs> like, oh, my God. He's so cute. Oh, my God. Yeah. He really Definitely. is, though. Like, protect him at all costs. Like, bubble wrap him. 
and just he's too precious just i love it he's the cutest the cutest elsewhere we had a severide in detective arson mode oh my god hashtag blessed right (sighs) well for right now this version of detective arson like i love we don't how long that's gonna last but hashtag blessed for sure for now yeah so bryna take it away yeah so this is the storyline that kind of merged in the second half of the episode so there's not like a ton here but basically Bowden tells everyone at 51 that grandma didn't make it and so Severide decides, you know, they're going to start a GoFundMe. And so basically he's like, we're going to go, I'm going to take squad and we're going to check on the family. And they go and they, you know, talk to them about this and whatever. And basically Severide and Cruz both leave that interaction, like feeling like something fishy is going on. Um, Cruz mentions that it's because the husband didn't like to let the wife talk, but they both just leave it with like a bad taste in their mouth. And so Severide and Cruz, like, take their suspicions to Arson, and they're like, you know, maybe this could be something. Like, maybe it's not just a complete accident. We don't really know, but whatever. And Van Meter, who's, like, the arson guy, he mentions that, you know, it's probably nothing, you know, just like that duplex fire last week. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, You know, nothing, nothing totally crazy. You know, just sometimes accidents happen, whatever. And, but Severide, like, kind of calls him out, and he's like, you should probably, like... Just make sure you've exhausted all options on this. So then later, Van Meter calls Severide and Cruz like back to that house. And he's like, you know, I decided which, you know, to take what you said to hearts of. And I started looking into things and, you know, she didn't have life insurance, but she was sitting on $320,000. So there's a possible motive right there that the grandma had a bunch of cash. So then Sev, of course, leave it to Detective Arson, <laughs> Mr. Shepard, to notice that the setup of this fire, like the way the burn patterns and everything else, is exactly how it went down in that duplex fire the week before. Because the paper did a story on exactly how the fire was set up, or I don't know if that's the right word, but how the fire happened, to say that. How is Severide um, the one noticing something that the arson guy did not like this is how good severite is at this stuff is that he's doing the arson guy's job better than him right yeah and so basically it ends and squad takes meets up with ruzik and they go meet the family hashtag blessed um yeah ruzik and aviators hashtag blessed ruzik and severite Uh, and aviators and then that image of like ruzik and he's like flanked by squad three i was like like, what did we do to deserve this? Yeah. And so basically, Severide's plan in this whole situation is to use the knowledge from that the kid almost ran into the fire that they learned from Gallo to, like, force a confession out of the dad because they think the dad did it. Um, and the dad's, you know, adamant that he didn't do it, and he didn't because, as it turns out, the wife did it. Wow. She tried to kill her for the money. Do you think there's, like a club in Chicago of women called like the lifetime serial killer movie club. Sure. Like she's in it. Ava was in it, you know, just psycho women all around Chicago are in it. Sure. I don't know if I really believe that. Sure. (laughs) Did she explained why she did it? Right. It was, it wasn't, it just kind of like scare her or something. Well, no, she thought that, she, I mean, she admitted to, like, murdering her. She was like, I thought she'd go easier than that. 
It's horrible. That is so horrible. Yeah, it's bad. So bad. So bad. Yeah. But yeah, that's that. Goodness. So we also had the women's lounge storyline. This one was okay to me. It wasn't great. What did you think? It was fine. It wasn't their best. It wasn't their worst. It was fine. Mm, Yeah. So Emily reads a magazine that basically says that a firehouse in California has a women's lounge. And so she and Kid and Brett decide to make one happen for themselves. And so they point out that the blue office is free. But I don't know. It kind of made us all think because, I mean, isn't that the one that was supposed to be Casey's office that he didn't move into? And if that's the case, where does Herman have his quarters at? Right. All the questions. All the questions, yeah. Does Herman even have quarters? A lot of questions. I don't know. So Bowden's like, yeah, hell no, we're not doing that. And so Stella just charges forward and she's like, so you have a problem with women needing personal space. And I mean, that is just a lose-lose right there. So Bowden's like, fine, fuck it. Like you win, whatever. So they redo the blue office and it's pretty cool. Like I'd hang out in there. It seems really nice. But Mouch and Herman are like super impressed. And so they're leaving shift and a group of women, a group of other firefighters, they basically are there and they just are like, yeah, we heard about the lounge. This is awesome. And so the girls are like, yeah, like, go, make yourself comfortable. And I think Stella is the one who says it. She's like, soon enough, it's going to become a refuge for female firefighters all across the CFD. The minute they started sharing that lounge, I was like, well, this is going to shit. That's going to fall apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so they set that up. And so the ladies show up at the beginning of the next shift. And very predictably, the quiet space is just completely ruined. Like, done. Nope. Um, so there's a captain from another firehouse who's even smoking in there. And Wolf Entertainment actually tweeted out in the middle of this that, because uh, in the original scene when they, they run into the group of firefighters, there's five of them. Three of them are actual CFD. So that's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So there is a captain from another firehouse smoking in there. And she's like, you know, I thought the whole point of this place was to be supportive of each other because I'm really not feeling the supportive vibe right now. And so Stella gets into a yelling match with her and convinces Bowden to help her shut it down. And Bowden just says, he's like, the community we're trying to create in there, like, hopefully this will remind you that you already had that out here. So quick, to the point, like, okay, haha, cute. About it. Just kind of, eh. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Not their best, not their worst. No, it's just me. Whatever. So will you take us through Joe? Yeah, there's not a ton here, but, like, we had to talk about it. Basically... Brett ends up spilling the beans to the rest of the firehouse about Joe's engagement, and it literally does not surprise any me that she did that. Such a so she was thing. the one to tell her. Yeah, yeah. And so later at Molly's, Sev buys Cruz drinks to like celebrate his engagement. He's like, you know, Chloe's great. You're one lucky bastard. You know, nobody deserves it more. Mm. I mean, they get interrupted by the call from Van Meter, but like, it's still an adorable scene. And then, like, the best scene of the episode, I think. So they're, like, Cruz and Sever chopping it up in the locker room. And Cruz, this is at the very end of the episode, and Cruz is like, you know, you might have missed your calling being a detective. And then Cruz, in so, many, or so few words, like, asks Sever to be his best man. He's like, you know, I would ask Otis if, Otis if he were here, but he's not. And then Cruz, or, and then Sev's like, is this, you know, what are you trying to ask me? 
and Cruz asks him, and it's the best thing ever. Oh my god, I definitely cried a little bit. I was like, why are my, my eyes watering? Oh my god, like it's so sweet, and I love the quality bro time between Severide and Cruz. This is long overdue to get some bro time between them. Yeah. Well, so Derek tweeted, you know, he's like, you know, we wanted a way to like pay off the Severide showing up for Cruz's award last season, that whole thing too. But one of the things that I loved, Derek was talking about this in Emily's podcast is, you know, he was talking about when Joe Minoso, you know, moved over to squad, like when they had Cruz move over to squad, not that he already wasn't friends with Taylor and Randy and Tony, but you know, they have so many things where it's like a truck only call a squad only call and so obviously joe was really close to the guys on truck but like he had to become even closer with the guys on squad um especially because they all play golf and joe's apparently like had to learn how to play golf (laughs) whatever anyway and so derek was talking about how you know the fact that like because of that like you know a lot of this came out of like joe getting closer to taylor and randy and tony um and i just i thought that was really interesting and i liked hearing that yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. It's so good. I always feel like when you see a friendship between them, it's always Cruz being friends with Severide. It's always like one-sided. So it's nice to see them actually forging a friendship and it going both ways now. It's just, it's just so good. And I say it every time, but the respect that these two characters have for each other, it is just the purest, most like delightful thing. It was so, yeah. So good. I loved it. I can't wait for the wedding, which apparently is going to be in like the back third of the season. Derek oh my God. talking about that. Derek, please let us have a proper wedding, please. Like a proper, non interrupted, happy wedding. Please, 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 please. Yeah. Please. 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 Please, please, please. You think Brett also, would be Chloe's get- maid of honor? Or Lily. Because she's the one who kind of got them back together. Or Lily. Lily. Oh, I would love to see Lily. Yeah, and that way Otis is still represented at the ceremony. Okay, that hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, if you want to, Derek, if you want to give us bachelor or bachelorette parties too, I mean, I'm not complaining. Again, no, I'm not complaining. I just ask that the ceremony be uninterrupted. No calls, nothing crazy, like just a straight up wedding. Yeah. And like we deserve a straight it. up traditional wedding. We deserve it. We've earned it. Mm-hmm. And Joe has suffered enough. Like Joe deserves it. Yeah. Let Joe live. Let Joe live. And Chloe suffered enough shit. I mean, yeah, they deserve it. For real. Any other notes about fire? No, but it was a good episode. It was a good episode. This one I feel like was pretty tame. It was the tamest. I still wouldn't say it was tame, but it was the tamest. Yes. Yes. Because then PD kind of faked us out. Like, you thought you were going to have a tame episode and then, uh uh-uh, nope. No. Absolutely not. All right. So, PD. So we open up and Jay is helping Platt out at a community garden. First off, I want to know how Jay got roped into this. Love it. Yeah. You think he like lost a bet or something? I don't know, but I love it. I don't, I I love it. So good. It's so good. So there's been so much Platt this season. It's been fantastic. More Platt, please. Please. 
Yes. I keep saying I want to see her work a case with intelligence. And I feel like we've seen it before, but, like, I still want to see it again and again and again. I will say, I mean, I really do love the increased amount of plot we've gotten this season, even if it is in, like, small scenes like this. Like, I do love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm at the point now, though, where I'm like, two scenes of plot per episode is not enough. I need more Amy Morton in my life. But it's like, I don't, yeah. Yeah. So while Jay's there, he gets a call over the radio about multiple shots fired not very far from where he is. And so he arrives on scene. He goes into the building. There's a kid alive in the bathroom. And as he moves into the living room, there are two kids murdered on the couch. And literally, these are two boys who are, like, sitting on the couch with, like, video game controllers in their laps. Like, that's all it was. Like, two completely innocent boys. So... Jay grabs the child from the bathroom and just runs out and like that's the cold open just it's always just like astounding when it starts with a child victim like that it's crazy yeah so that house was a stash house for the west side hustlers and the main guy Kareem he's totally willing to talk so Jay and Voight go to him and Voight just says, he's like, listen, what, tip, what happens today typically requires a certain response from you, but that's not for me or you. It's for this neighborhood because we need to be able to walk back in here and tell these people we've got them. And so Kareem basically is like, okay, I'll give you some time before we retaliate. Like, that's fine. So Kareem also gives them a description of what was stolen from the house because his nephew is one of the kids killed in this shooting. So Kareem's right-hand man is not happy about it, though. He keeps basically saying, like, this is entrapment. Like, what are you doing? But they have no idea who could have possibly done it. So Burgess has kind of been, like, the tech person this season. Do you notice that, how she's always pulling footage and data? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. been interesting. Um, she pulls images from a pod of a guy carrying a green army bag. It's just like Kareem described. It's a couple blocks away, but you really can't make out his face. So as this is happening, Crawford shows up, Paul Adelstein's character, and he offers intelligence to run the photo through this new facial rec system. It's like totally beta. It's not even on the market yet. It's brand spanking new. And he's like, yeah, this will be great. You know, this will be totally fine. The minute he started peddling that, I was like, oh, no, I don't trust you. Not at all. Well, my favorite quote, I mean, as much as like I hate it, he's like, the ACLU hates this thing, and so do the bad guys, and, like, that tells you all you need to know. Like, dude. I mean, that first part of the sentence definitely tells me all I need to know. Right. Just, oh. Yeah. Yeah. It gets crazy. So, they use the facial rec software, and with 99.64% certainty, identify a guy named Marcus West. And so, Voight finally, like, makes the point. He's like, listen, I like the gadget, but it's upside down. Because we've got a suspect before we've got a case. There's no evidence, no motive. It's basically putting the cart before the horse. And so Jay is so adamant here. He's like, let's go get him before he can disappear. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so Voight finally agrees. So this part of it, I don't disagree with. I Like, Jay being super adamant, like, let's go get him. I'm like, all right, I don't blame you for that. That's Jay. We've seen that happen a million times. Plus, it's not like he went rogue here. He's got Voight's backing. So this part, I don't blame Jay for. What do you think? No. Not at all. No. Yeah, this part, I'm like, okay, you're at least just going to go get him. No harm, no foul. So intelligence rolls up to his house. They get him. They chase him across the roof. Amazing. Jay interrogates him, but Marcus denies knowing what he's talking about, like at all. And so Jay says, he's like, if your conscience is clear, why did you run? 
And Marcus is from the cops, like a poor black man in Chicago, cops bust down your door, you run, whether you did something or not. Now, I noticed that the person who wrote this episode, it's a name we don't recognize, so I think he's somebody new this year. I looked it up, too. Yeah. I, I wondered with this episode, too. Yeah, you didn't recognize the name, right? No, not at all. No, so I, I, he's new. And so, I mean, hey, like, kudos, you wrote a very controversial episode. So kudos to you. But I will say, though, I did like this moment, though, because it is true. Like, I mean, it's true. And like that, this moment, I think at least is very grounded in reality, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah. And I mean, granted, uh, I mean, again, and we've talked about this before in the podcast. I mean, from two white women, obviously, we realize that we are not the best people to be talking about this by any means. But right. this definitely shines a light on something that I feel like doesn't get enough spotlight. Right. And I think, you know, it's kudos to PD for talking about all this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So Jay and Kevin show up to a neighborhood memorial for the two boys. They show Marcus's picture around to see if anybody recognizes him. They even show it to Kareem's right-hand man and another West Side hustler, but they're both like, no, we don't know him. So Kareem shows up and tells Jay that time's running out. And so Kareem just says, he's like, you know, see those people in there? Like, there's a lot of pain. They need justice. And a lot of people don't expect it to come from you. They expect it to come from me. So back at the 21st, Jay goes to interrogate Marcus again. And Marcus just straight up admits, he's like, I'm a junkie, but I would never kill those kids. Like, I would never in a million years kill kill those kids. And he won't fake confess to it either. So... They end up booking Marcus, hoping that he'll confess to the crime. This is the part where they take him to county, right, Bryna? Yeah. Yeah. This, to me, is where Jay went too far. Yeah. Like, you don't send someone to jail to try to scare a confession out of them. No. No. He's like, yeah, we're going to sweat him out in county. I don't think I've ever seen Boyd do that. I'm trying to think. I don't think. They've sent him to the cells in the 21st, but never, like, county. Yeah, so the um, the initially using of the software, I'm like, whatever, Jay. I mean, Voight agreed to it. Okay, I don't blame you for that. Sending him to county is where I'm like, that's too much. That's not okay. That's not cool. That's no, really not, not cool. Not cool. And so, yeah, Jay's just like, let me know when you're ready to talk. So they're trying to build the case against Marcus when Trudy comes in and tells them that Marcus was stabbed seven times in county. This is exactly what happened to Al. Not that there's any parallel to be drawn from that, but like, yeah, it just, it's not right. It's not right. Like, no, not at all. And so Jay goes to med, sees Marcus's body. He's lying there in a coma and he just says, he's like, do everything you can for him, like everything. And so Ruzik shows Jay the log from County. He recognizes Peter. He's one of the West Side hustlers from the vigil. So Peter had outstanding warrants for, like, three years and, like, just now decided to turn himself in. You know, all of this is just, like, super suspicious. Um, Brian, go ahead and take it from here. Yeah. So basically, Jay comes back from med and stops by to see Voight and, you know, fills him in on everything. And he's also concerned that, like, all of this was his fault. He's like, you know, I just wanted to make the case so damn bad. Like, did I go too far? I mean, yes. The answer is yes, Jay, you did. I feel like a lot of that is on Voight, too, though, because, like, Voight's the one who's consenting to these things every step along the way. 
Right. But it, I mean, I do think it's still on Jay. Mm-hmm. Um, but Boy doesn't put it on him. It's like, you know, you're a good cop with a good heart. And it's just like, yeah, that's but that's kind of a cop out, right? Like, that's not a yes or no answer. Right. It's true. It's very true. And again, like, Jay did it because he cares and, like, he wanted justice for those boys. Like, I get why Jay did it. You know but. what this also shows me is that Jay is influenced by Void a lot easier than he thinks he is. But he's also influenced by Void. Like, it's not necessarily, I think, influenced by Void in this situation. I think he has to go through, like, Void is still the person he has to, like, like, what Void says goes. Void is still over him in the chain of command. Like, Jay can't just go do something. No, right. I know. I know. But, like, you see how Jay was like, did I did I overstep? Is that what happened? And Voight just, like, reeled him back in. Even at the end. I don't know. I think this is... We'll talk about... We'll talk about that. Um, so, basically, Kevin Rojas have linked Marcus to this guy named Ruben. And Ruben's most recent... He, you know, Ruben also has a rap sheet. And his most recent, recent offense was moving ketamine, which is the same drug that was stolen from the house. So they're like, oh, this is potentially something. Um, so Kevin Rojas go pay him a visit. And Ruben admits that the reason Marcus is always around is the lack of air conditioning. Hmm. And he also admits that he saw Marcus, like, passed out in the AC on a couch, like, the same day that the boys were killed. So then Burgess and Upton go and question the little boy from the bathroom one more time just to, you know, make it store, you know, make sure they didn't miss anything. And apparently he didn't hear the door get kicked in until after the gunshots. So now they're starting to like put some pieces together. And so now because of that, they think that it might be an inside guy. And Jay's like worried. He's like, oh, crap. Do we have the wrong guy locked up? And, in fact, they do, because Kevin Rojas come back with the pod footage confirming that Marcus was indeed at a friend's house sleeping in the air conditioning at the time of the murder. And, to make matters worse, Platt comes upstairs and tells them that Marcus didn't make it. Ah, like... I know. But this is where it gets, like, ten times worse. Yep. And I, like, smite crap. So basically, Boyton Hall said, go to confront the software guy about the mistake. And he's like, you know, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And they're basically like, sorry, he's not enough. And he admits, the software guy admits, he's like, you know, I told Crawford that the technology is still a year out, maybe six months at best. Um, he's like, you know, sometimes false positives happen. It's rare, but it mostly, when it happens, it mostly happens to black people. Because white people made the technology to, you know, and they tested it on their white friends with the white features and... You know, so the darker the skin, this exact quote, the darker the skin, the worse the problem gets. Y'all, this episode is based off a true story. Like, it this, is? This happens in our world. This oh, is a yeah. real thing. I thought you meant, like, a specific story. Um, uh, I think, I mean, it, it's, if it's not an exactly like, true case, I mean, this has happened where facial recognition software like this, they realize that, you know, it's flawed and it's it's it very unfairly tar- targets the black community. But this is a real right. Well, thing and that I think happens. it just right. I think it just goes to show that, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that those people like are not outwardly racist. You know, they're probably not racist, but like, it's just it's racism is racism is so ingrained in our system, you know, in ourselves and in our system that like, even if you're not actually racist, like, you know, it's just all the tendencies. 
And it just further highlights the notion that the criminal justice system in this country is just so heavily skewed against the black community. It's not right. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying is like the system is, I mean, it's broken. It's, you know, it's old. It's outdated. Yeah. So broken. Yeah. So basically Voight then goes to see Crawford and Crawford uses this as a way to like try to turn the problem around on Jay. And he's like, I'm going to shoot straight with you here, Hank. He's like, you know, the optics on this, not good. White cop playing cowboy jams up an innocent black man, you know, throws him in the county for a crime he didn't commit. Like someone's got to pay the tab on this. Um, but Voight, of course, sticks up for just boy. Like, you know. This hurts me too, though, because he's like, oh, like, you know, white cop playing cowboy. Okay, well, no. He was playing cowboy, but Voight should have caught him. But even then, when he's like, somebody's going to pay the price and it's going to be Halstead. Wait a second, homeboy. This was your idea from the get-go to use this software. They relied upon what you said. Right. And that's what Voight, you know, Voight's like, sticks up for Jay in this moment. And I'm like, okay, Voight. Like, good on you. All three of them fucked up. I mean, all three of them fucked up. Yeah. But so, back at the 21st, you know, they start looking at, they decide to start looking into profit. Kareem's number two guy. Because, you know, every step of the way, he's been, you know, setting up roadblocks for them, essentially. And so, Floyd goes to talk to Kareem and Profit, and he doesn't write outright, like, accuse Profit, but he, like, starts, like, planting the seeds and decide that, you know, like, we're on to you. And he's like, you know, I'm going to go knock on your, he's like, we got to talk to everyone again. You know, I'm going to knock on your door first, Profit, so that, like, your boys just know how to act. Like, you know, and Profit's like, okay, I got you, and what, all this stuff. And basically, they end up following Profit to his sister's house, and they literally watch him put the bag of stolen stuff into a car and then, like, walk away. Um, and Boy ends up stealing the bag from the car, but, like, they, they caught him. You know, it's Profit. And so Foyt tells Kareem that they found the real color and gives him the bag of stuff back. And he's like, you know, I think about now you got to ask yourself, you know, like, is Prophet like capable of killing two nine-year-old boys? And, you know, Foyt tells Kareem that, you know, what happens to Prophet is his business after this. Like, they're not going to, they're not going to arrest him, but, you know, it's his business. And, like, we see Cream's boys, like, beat Prophet up as, like, Foyt looks on from his car. I was so mad at this. That part didn't bug me that, you know, he let, he let Kareem, like, you know, carry out justice his own way on Prophet. That didn't bother me. The next part bothered me. Well, I think it all ties together. Like, I'm not necessarily mad that he let Kareem beat him up. Like, I, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me. But, like he's not arresting profit because of the kind of the next part. And that's, it all ties in together. Like that's what bothers me. Yeah. Yeah. It's beyond fucked up. So basically Crawford goes on TV and claims, you know, says his thing. And, you know, he's like, you know, we finally identified the killer and it's Marcus West. And Jay goes into Seaboy in his office. And Jay's like, did you do what I think you did? And Boyd's like, Jay, for once in your life, just let it be like what what the actual fuck like 
Marcus West's life is no, it's worth no less than anybody else's life just because he was a junkie. His life is worth the same as a businessman on Michigan Avenue. Right. Well, and if he's innocent, he should, the world should know that he's innocent. Exactly. But like the world shouldn't remember him for something he didn't do. Right. Right. But the CPD would rather save face and preserve public image than admit that they let an innocent black man die. Well, and what do you think about the fact that Voight kind of just went along with it? And that's kind of what I was getting with like the other scene too. It's not right. It's not right at all. It doesn't surprise me that Voight went along with it. I think the part that irks me about this is that, and this is why I say that I think Jay is more easily influenced by Voight than he thinks he is because, you know, Jay's questioning and he's like, did you do what I think you did? And Voight's just like, let it be. And so he does. But he does for now, because I have a feeling this is going to be the, you know, they keep teasing that, like, the Halstead stuff, like, you know, it's an issue that comes from, like, earlier episodes. It's coming back. It's a Halstead, like, centric mid-season finale. Like, I have a feeling this is going to come back. I hope it is, because it does not sit well with me in the slightest of how this went down. And a lot of our listeners after this episode were saying they were like, Jay needs to be thrown in jail. Like, he got an innocent black man killed. Yeah. Well, and I texted you so because I saw that we saw this episode early, and so I watched it, and it was like Saturday, it was like Saturday morning, right? It was like first thing, and I texted you, and I was like, "Holy crap! Like I need you to watch this like right now." And I was like, "I'm so freaking mad!" And you were like, "Really? Are you more mad than after last week's episode?" And I was like, "Yeah." I need Jay to show more remorse about this than he showed in this episode. I mean. Jay's rem- Jay's got to be remorseful over this. Knowing Jay as a character, this if it's if if he's going to react to this in character, he's going to be more affected by this than just simply letting it be as Voight says. Yeah, but I think also too, like it's not surprising that he kind of just let it go for that moment, only because like you go through something like this, and it really probably taking Jay, I hope, like time to process like what Voight actually did. Right? Like, it's kind of like a little get-out-of-your-shell shock for a second. So it's not surprising that he, like, let it go for now, but I think it's going to come back around and it's going to open the... My hope is that this comes back up and it reopens the Jay and Voight yelling at each other from episode one that happened. I lost some respect for Voight with this one for just going along with it. Yeah. Because I think... I think the thing that even though Voight's maybe not had the most conventional methods like Voight at the end of the day still cared about justice right yeah and And this is not that right if you cared about justice you wouldn't let this happen you would put the prophet in jail and you would even though you can't bring Marcus back to life like you would still I'm sure you know he has friends like this Ruben guy like he has some loved ones out there like let him let them know that he's innocent he was innocent he didn't do anything he didn't deserve to die Maybe it's not Voight versus Halstead in the mid-season finale. Maybe they band together and it's them versus Crawford. Nah, I think it's going to be Halstead versus Voight. At least I kind of hope it is. Because I still was never... I was mad at the way they kind of, like, in episode two, they kind of just, like, brushed over the, um, like, Jay Jay and Voight stuff. And I was like, what the heck? So I hope it's Jay and Voight. Yeah, this ending does not sit well with me at all. This is probably the most unsettling ending of PD for me, maybe ever. 
I think this has been my favorite episode, though, of the season. Like, I thought this was, like, I mean, favorite is, like, a hard word because I hate what happened in it. But, like, I thought this was, like, the strongest episode of the season. I love this episode. Yeah, and I, I, I would agree with you because I'm sitting here, like, but it's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. You know, this, 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 this guy got killed. Like, he was an innocent man. It's so much bigger than that. But also then I'm also like, it's fictional, Gina. It's not real. It didn't actually happen. But it does happen in our world, which is just disturbing. Well, and I think, too, I just think everything about it, like, I think it flowed really nicely. Like, I understood. Like, I didn't think the case was too complicated. Like, I don't know. I just everything about it, I think, seemed to work really well. Um, I mean, again, it's a terrible storyline. And like you said, it unfortunately happens in everyday life. But, like, in the fictional world of One Chicago, I thought... I think it, like I said, I think it's their best episode of the season. And kudos to who's that new writer, whoever I forget his name was, but because it was a great episode. What did you think about the police department lying to the public? That's so unsettling. Yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised that it happens because I think it, I'm pretty sure it probably happens every day, but yeah. Yeah, a very unsettling episode of Chicago PD. For sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, now that that pit in my stomach has returned, any other notes about PD? No, just like I said, I think that's my favorite episode of the season. I mean, it's weird saying favorite, but you know what I mean. No, I know. I know. And now, without further ado, our interview with Alberto Rosende. Hi, Alberto. How are you? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. No, of course, you're excited to talk. Yeah, so if you're ready, we can just get started. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So why don't you tell me first, what was your audition process like for FIRE? Um, it, it felt pretty standard until, uh, oh, it, it felt pretty standard, but there's a bit of a story attached. Like, uh, I originally auditioned the uh, self-tape. Okay. And then I was actually uh, about to travel um, when I got a call asking me if I could do the self-tape again, that they liked my work, but they wanted me to take a note. But I was already on the way to the airport, and I'd already packed away all the stuff to do with self-tape. I was like, oh, God, um, yes, I can get that done, absolutely. So I reset everything up, shot the tape with, like, taking the note, then showed up to the airport like an hour and 20 minutes late. Didn't miss my flight, thank God. Wow. And then, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Then while I was traveling, I found out that I might have to come back to L.A. for a callback. Um, so I, I landed in like, I was, I was going around with Europe and then I was going to Canada. So I landed in Canada, got the call that I had to go back for the callback. So instead of continuing my trip, I went back to L.A., did the callback, and then flew back to Canada and then it was while I was there that I found out I got the role. Wow, that's, wow, that's, what a story. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds, if, if I wasn't traveling, it would have been pretty standard. Like, I did a self-tape, they asked me to do another one with a note, and then I got to go in and meet a few of the writers and, and uh, do, like, an in-person audition, which was really fun. But um, the traveling made it all complicated and, like, one of those stories where, like, yeah, you do so much, but... Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a cool process. 
Yeah. Were you familiar with the shows? Like, before you got your audition, were you familiar with the shows? And, like, what do you think of this idea of a shared universe that all these three shows do? Well, um, when I auditioned, I did all the re- I did a lot of research. I was familiar with it that I know it was on TV and I'd heard of it, but I hadn't really watched any of it. Right. So I was like, okay, um, I should... I should check the show out before I audition to kind of see what world it is. And then when I found out that, you know, Fire, Med, PD were all part of the same world, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then as I, I ended up watching the premiere and finale of every season, <laughs> and I watched like two or three in between as well. Like before the audition and then and then all of season six and all of season five. And I'm like going backwards. But, um, yeah, I, I think the shared universe is such an awesome idea and, and obviously so much fun watching it. Um, and it just feels really cool to be a part of it. Yeah. And so I know it's only been a few episodes since we've been introduced to Gallo, but we really love Gallo, and it seems like everyone else in the fandom does too so far. I'm just curious, what kind of response have you gotten from fans to Gallo? Um... It's been it's been very positive. I've, I've been like I've, I've been very happy with how people have, have received. I mean, you know, it's when you come on to a show that's been established. You know, eight, eight, eight you know, during the eighth season and seven seasons before have been really great, and characters have come and gone, and um, there's a little bit of pressure where you, you hope that they'll accept you as part of that team that they've been building for seven seasons. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really happy that the response has been super positive. Everyone's been excited to, to meet him and to learn more about Gallo. Um, tonight's episode, we learned a little bit more about him. Okay. Uh, it's Yeah, it's been, it's been pretty cool. Yeah, you talk about obviously there being a little bit of pressure. Was it intimidating to you, like, on your first day on set? Because like you said, this show has been around for, you know, seven seasons prior going into its eighth season. And there is such... You know, there's so much history for you to learn. I mean, like you said, you're going backwards and trying to figure, you know, watch all these old episodes again. Like, was it intimidating to you on your first day on set? You know, it was it was really exciting. And th- there were nerves going to the first day on set. You know, you want to meet everyone. You, you hope that everyone's cool to work with. But the minute I got there, I was completely put at ease. I mean, the crew is incredible. The cast is super nice, talented. They work hard and they have a lot of fun. Um... It's a, it's a really good environment to be going in with someone new. Um, and I, I know you don't get that. I know that's, that's special, you know? Yeah. And so when Gallo, when we're first introduced to Gallo, obviously, you know, it's a tragic time at 51. And I think one thing that helped fans get on board with Gallo is the fact that, you know, he acknowledged Otis when he first got to 51 and recognized, like, what everyone at 51 was going through and his place in all of this. So I'm just curious, like, what was your take on the way Gallo was introduced, especially kind of being familiar with the history of the show and, like, where Otis fit into all of it, but, like, not having, like, watched all seven seasons? Right. Um, well, my take has to do a lot with Gallo's understanding. Um, he's a really smart firefighter. Uh, he's been around it his whole life. Mm-hmm. So he, when he spent time with you know Chief Burkett and and was going to that firehouse, he saw them go to college and come back when 
tragic things happen. We saw them go to calls and come back when, you know, when it was a, a fun or interesting story because of the incident that they had to, uh, they had, you know, just gone to. So he's seen the whole gamut of, of what a firefighter's day it can be like. And um, I think that understanding allowed him to kind of come into 51 completely knowing what, what he needed to do to be successful there, but also he was aware of how they were hurting and and wanted to, I just wanted to make him know that, that he knows what's going on, he knows that it's not a, it's a difficult time. And I, I thought that was really cool that Gallo had that, that wisdom that you probably wouldn't normally see in a younger firefighter, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I think Kelly you know, Severide and, and KCC in in Gallo. This, this, yeah, a little bit of a daredevil, uh, you know, a little bit of a loose <laughs> cannon, but his decisions are very smart generally. He, he really gets it. He has a talent for this craft, and they see that potential in him, and that wisdom is something that you can't really, you know, it's there, and then, oh, sorry, so that wisdom is there that's awesome, but that, that desire to kind of put, yourself on the line to, to help someone else. We can't really teach someone that. So yeah. there is this, they see him as this, as this package, and then, I don't know, I, I thought that seemed super cool. I feel like I'm, I'm rambling now. No. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And so I'm just kind of curious going off of that, like, I know a lot of actors bring a bit of themselves to the characters they play, but, like, in what ways do you think you're similar to Gallo, and in what ways do you think you're different from Gallo? Um... Well, I can say I thought I was afraid of heights before <laughs> I started working on this show. <laughs> and I found out pretty quickly that I'm not. But I think that's something that Gala wouldn't even have thought about. Um, so I think because of the nature of the work that he signed up to do, there's a little bit more of a, I don't want to say carelessness, because it's not carelessness at all. It's an understanding, again, of what his job requires and those skill sets, it's not even a question of whether or not he can do them. They're okay. Heights, and maybe they freak him out, but if I have to save someone that's five balconies up or stuck on a Ferris wheel, I'm going to do it without thinking twice right. about the consequences other than trying to figure out how safe can I make it? What's the fastest way to do this without putting anyone on the line? Like how do we, you know, all of those calculations are, being done, but the idea of like, oh, that's kind of scary. That's something he never thinks about, and I think that's kind of cool. Um, we're similar in the fact that we both have jobs that we love to do, and are excited to learn more about and grow with. Um, you know, I'm an actor, I'm a firefighter, but we have that that passion for what we do. Um, also, I think Gallo's just like a really nice guy, which I really appreciate. Yeah, um, he has this. This, this wonderful energy and he's extremely passionate about what he does and excited and he's not afraid to, to show that excitement which I think is interesting you don't see that a lot especially I don't know you don't see this this excited passionate but understanding younger firefighter sometimes you know one of those things is missing he's super excited but he's not technically great well Gal is technically great and super excited uh, super excited maybe makes Big mistakes. This guy doesn't really, he, he makes his mistakes, don't get me wrong, but generally when he's doing something he knows 
the consequences and, and knows what is required of him to complete that task. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah, and so you were talking about, obviously, you being afraid of heights and not really realize, or you thought you were afraid of heights and not actually being afraid of heights when you are doing all these stunts. So do you, have you done all of your own stunts so far on the show? Um, as, as far as they let me go. Uh, so with the balconies, I was able, they let me scale two of them. I got up to the third floor. Wow. Um, but they wouldn't let me go all the way up because, you know, then there's safety with the pad and, and whatnot. So I understand that. So then my stunt double took over there. Um, with the Ferris wheel, I was I did everything there. Uh, in the wider shots, the stunt double got to, uh, Rick Jr. got to jump in and do all that. But when it was up close, that was me up there, uh, you know. That was, was cool. And then uh, with the fire, I mean, there's in another episode coming up, I do get to do a little more, but it's always based on what can safely be done by the actor, you know, what the risks are. But as far as I'm concerned, I always try to do as much as they let me. Right. What was your, kind of going off yeah. of that, like, what was your firefighter training like? Because I know other actors on this show have talked about, like, when they first started, you know, they went through, like, weeks of, you know, like, a boot camp of sorts of, like, how to be a firefighter. What was your firefighter training like? Uh, well, I had a crash course which was pretty cool. Well, I, I didn't get a whole week, but I got one day at the academy with Chick, uh, you know, Steve Chick mm-hmm. who is, you know, does all of them. I'm sure you guys are familiar with him. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I did a lot of research before I got here about, you know, the history of firefighting and, and how it's changed over the years and, and how their job now is more complicated than it has ever been. Because they, they literally do so much. Um, so I, came, I did all of that research before I came in, and then I met Chick at the Academy for a day, where he ran me through uh, the basic gear that someone would be wearing and using in mm-hmm. those scenarios. Uh, you know, he put it on and start testing the breathing apparatus. Uh, started to walk around doing that, and then luckily the day that we were at the Academy is the day that they were doing like simulated fire drills. So I got to jump in with candidates uh, doing different things, whether it was like, jumping out of a window and having to like rapidly get down the ladder or that of like a smoking building or going into like the smoke box and like bringing a hose line in there and uh, shooting at us. I got to do some like pretty cool stuff with actual candidates that were like learning the job. That's and awesome. And then I got to talk to all the firefighters that were teaching because they all, you know, are an off chick, which I totally understand. And it, because of them, it was like a really cool um, educational experience that short period of time that I was able to be there. That's really cool. It's really cool that you got to, like, be with other candidates, even though Gal is not a candidate, to, like, be there with people who are also just kind of starting out. Like, that's that's a really cool experience, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. It was. It was, it was awesome. Uh, it was, like, I felt like I was, like, hanging out with superheroes. Wow. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. And so something we've always enjoyed on the show is the mentorships. And so far, Casey and Gallo has been like no exception. I'm just curious, like, is there anything coming up that you can tease in terms of like what Gallo might be learning from Casey and in terms of like that mentee mentor relationship? Um, I think Gallo learns from Casey every, you know, every call. Uh, he's been really, I mean, one of the first episodes that we see Gallo, we hear that there are a bunch of older guys in, in, you know, at the house that he can learn from, not just Casey and Severide. You know, they Mouch, even though Mouch at that point didn't think he was one. Um, right. Yeah, but uh, there, 
he does learn from Casey tremendously. I think he, he looks up, and, up to him a lot because he's a, uh, Bowden has established this amazing leadership within the house that Casey and Severide really fall into and, and uh, you know, promote themselves as well. They, they promote this, this type of leadership that's compassionate and caring, but, but strict and, uh, you know, and not, uh, strict's not the word I'm looking for. I'm looking for a... Uh, Like, like they know what's right and wrong, uh, right? But I think Gallo continue, continues to learn uh, the distance that they're willing to go to to help someone, whether it be recognizing something strange about a call and then investigating into why that could have happened or what happened and discovering the the, the cause of it, or um, visiting people at the hospital um, and going those extra lengths to really be these like heroes for a community. And that's something that I think is really cool that firefighters are. They, they're so connected to their, their specific community. And Gallo learns from Casey the like you go all the way for that, you know? Yeah. And so Derek was does telling... Does yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, okay, cool, cool. So Derek was telling us at One Chicago Day that we're going to start to see a friendship between Ritter and Gallo start to blossom as part of this, like, young firefighter classes like starting to exist at 51 i'm just curious like what can you tease about that and like what is it like working with daniel uh daniel is awesome i, I love i mean I, I love working with everyone on the show daniel and i get along really well um i think it's also because we're we're the newer guys too so daniel's right. been there long enough that he's like settled in but he's still he's very connected to to being new and remembering that um yeah, I, I, I can tease that Gallo and Ritter have that where they they both are newer to 51, so Gallo can kind of go to Ritter with advice for things. Um, and because of Ritter's experience, he can be like, yo, I know how most firehouses work, but here we really are a family. Or he can he can really kind of lead Gallo into how to be the best at the house in ways that you wouldn't initially know. You, know, you can be really good at your job, but if you don't connect with the people around you or other things, like, you know, just, like, little tricks and tidbits, things that you would have to be there for a while to know Gal- uh, Ritter kind of brings Gallo into that world. Um, their relationship's really cool. They're, they're both, they both like to have fun, and they both work hard, and, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what else, what else we get to do together. That's awesome. And so I'll just end this with kind of more of a fun off Chicago Fire topic question. So I know you also have this online book club, Rosende Reads, and I'm curious, like, what made you want to start that? Um, I found myself reading less, and I I really do love reading. So I I wanted to find a way to not only keep myself accountable to the reading that I wanted to do, but also I wanted to inspire younger, you know, younger people to to discover this passion for reading. I felt that I found it later in life. Like, I, I didn't do all of the reading I should have done in high school or in college. You know, you get busy and, and you, you work ways around fully committing to that, I guess. And I, I was very disappointed in myself about that. So I was like, that's not cool because some of these books are fantastic. And then there was also... I saw references in, you know, pop culture to books that I hadn't read because either I was never assigned to these books or um, just literally never had the opportunity to read them. So I was like, I'm, I'm tired of not 
knowing these things. I, I want other people to discover that this is really cool. Um, I personally think the world would be a little bit better if people read more books. Right. So I, I started this book club thinking, not really knowing how long it was going to be or what, what the format was going to be like. Um, I knew Instagram was the right platform. Uh, right now, anyway. It's grown, but it still really works there. And, uh, yeah, now we're in our, I call them seasons, now we're in our third season because we pretty much will read from August to, like, May. Um, we do, like, a fall book session and then we read into up to May. Um, we've read 20 books now wow. over the course of these three seasons. Uh, right now, we just started Margaret Atwood's the Testaments, which is the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale, which we read um, a year ago. Uh, no, it's just been super cool to find a, a community of people that we're really excited to talk about books. And sometimes they get a little more technical in like the themes we see in these books and the writing style and whatnot. And sometimes it's all about story. Like, oh my God, can you believe this happened? And then I can't believe this is happening. Like, where do we think this is going? And it, it's just been a really cool thing with a great community of people that, that are all really excited about reading and it, it's grown a little bit and it's stayed consistent and um, no, that's actually one of my favorite things I do. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite book that you've read as a part of the club? I think one of the books that uh, the, the two books that I would say affected me the most, uh, 1984 Mm-hmm. George Orwell, that book was, you know, especially living in the, the day and age of, like, cell phones and social media, that, that book has a special, I think, um, it hits you in a special way reading it today. Right. Uh, so that book was, like, impa- like it profoundly impacted me. I was like, wow, that's interesting. I, I, and I love the way George Orwell writes. I had, had only read one other book of his, so I was like, oh, this is great. And then, uh, surprisingly, Anne of Green Gables, by Ellen Montgomery. Really? Ellen Montgomery was... Yeah, I... I was so... struck by that book. I, I loved Anne. I love her passion and excitement for the world. I, I love how she never loses this, like, childlike awe and wonder about life. I mean, when she grows up, she becomes a little... Oh, oh, to me, it reminds me of, like, Mary Poppins in a way, how... Mary Poppins is like a very serious adult, but then she has this incredible imaginative life that she kind of teaches the kids you never have to lose. Um, Anne kind of symbolizes that too, and I, I just, I think, I guess we just read it, so I could talk about it for a long time, but <laughs> I just loved the, I loved the writing, I fell in love with that character, and, and the way she sees the world, and how she dealt with uh, the hand that was given to her, and then, um, yeah, I, I think that, I, I'm really happy I read that book this year. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you think Gallo is a big reader? Um, I think he is, but I think it's a very specific genre. Um, it, it's funny because I, I was talking to uh, my stunt double and I, I, I think my stunt double is like a really, really cool dude. Uh, him and I get along really well. And, uh, the stuff that he, he gets to do for me and, and does for me is so cool. Uh, so we were talking and he reads a lot of... Uh, Clive Cussler books because I recommended him a David Baldacci book about uh, like a super spy named uh, Will Rogie. So I think if Gallo does read, there are probably books in that Genre. in that whole world of yeah. like being spies and you know secret agencies and 
stopping assassinations and you know stuff like that. I feel like he's very much in that like that genre. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Alberto, those are all the questions that I had for you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. No, of course. Thank you. I'm sorry if I rambled. Sometimes I talk too much. And that was our chat with Alberto. Um, Brenda, he seemed like a total delight, was he? Oh, my God. Alberto is, yeah, the best. Truly the best. Just the sentiment role. I love him. Awesome. Awesome. I love that he's a part of the show now. I love it. Yeah. The best. So, as always, Shyhards, you know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. It is Meet Us at Molly's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything, Molly's at gmail.com. Don't forget our Tea Public store. The link is on our Twitter page. Um, a lot of holiday specials are coming up now because we're getting into that time of year. So, we're going to be cranking out the designs to the best of our ability. So, keep an eye peeled for that. Otherwise, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina Watches TV, Bryna. I am at K 13 So I realized that was a lot of stuff for you guys tonight. Hope you enjoyed it. You know, have a great weekend. Don't eat too much Halloween candy, and we will see you next week. Bye.